With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Sink Swimmer Fly. I'm Tyler, and I am with Paul Petoniak, local entrepreneur. Um, what do you own? What do you What do you own, Paul? Half, uh, half the city by now. No. <laughs> so uh, in Erie, we have uh, 710 Vapor. We have one in Wesleyville. We just opened our new location, 710 Glass and Vapor, which is in Mill Creek on 32nd in Pittsburgh. Uh, we have a 710 Glass and Vapor in that, Edinburgh as well. The and Mill Creek one was just yep. this week. Yep, we just opened, and uh, then we also have a 710 Vapor and Lounge, which is in Conneaut, Ohio. Wow. Wow. Just work. Yeah. I didn't realize, I thought it was Wesleyville. I knew Edinburgh, mm-hmm. and then I think last night I saw, I was kind of looking at your feed for some inspiration for today, <laughs> and uh, I saw that there was one in Mill Creek, which is cool because... Mm-hmm. A lot of times, because I vape, mm-hmm. and uh, I have to go over to Wesleyville, which isn't a big deal. Yeah, and that's why we opened one over Mill here. Mill Creek's so close. Yeah. That's why we opened one over here, because uh, we wanted to make it more convenient for people who live in town that our other location is inconvenient for them to access. So that was kind of the thought process with the Westside location. And we were just talking uh, while we were setting up here about recovery uh, which we'll get into uh, drug use, how to get get out of those situations, uh, how we've both been in them. And you were talking about how I'd be surprised at how many people mm-hmm. in the vape industry, right, the mom and pop vape industry that are recovering addicts. Yeah, it's almost uh, a, a running joke with some of the people in the industry, how many of us are previous felons and started our own businesses so we could get a job. Um, in my case, I am not a felon, but I have a fairly extensive criminal history. I uh, have made a lot of very unwise decisions in my life, and thankfully I have a lot of people who are smarter than me that have helped guide me to make better ones. And you obviously have some motivation and drive. I mean, one to, of my how old are you? I'm 29. 29 years old, and you now have four locations. For that business, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's impressive. What other businesses are you involved in? Just to kind of get it right to it at the beginning here. Uh, I have a cell phone store as well. Um, I have a Metro PCS store, which is in Pittsburgh. Um, I also recently have been getting into real estate. I have uh, two properties, two rental properties as well, which I'm trying to build that up. Um, and I, I'm going gonna, gonna to be honest, I really didn't want to do any other businesses besides having an e-cigarette business. But um Given the existential threats to our business in the form of government regulation, uh, it just seemed wise to invest in other opportunities that the government's not going to take away at the stroke of a pen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are so there is so much misconception, misinformation, uh, mm-hmm. un, uh, unsure things right. happening with vaping right now. Yeah, and even just as a vapor, mm-hmm. I uh, I felt the heat from that 
right with like people at work like i don't want you to die bro i yep. don't want you to die it's like dude i've been vaping since 2015 yeah people on the street come up to you and yeah. say like don't you know it's gonna kill you uh, and um there actually was a young man that uh got sick from using an illegal thc cart uh here in erie and this young man actually was a customer of our business as well and you know even though we literally manufacture e-liquid in our store I've been using this e-liquid since 2014 when our business opened. I mean, if anybody is going to get sick from the e-liquid that we manufacture, I'm going to. I vape more than just about anybody that I know. And, uh, you know, the thought even crosses my mind. Like, this young man uses the same products that we're using. Are we going to get sick? And even though that's a ludicrous thing to think, you still think it. And that's the power of misinformation. And so... You know, thankfully, you know, he came out and admitted what he was using and the truth's now out there. It's just, it's very disingenuous, in my opinion, uh, on the side of the media to be, tr to be airing news articles that we don't quite have accurate information for. So uh, some of the CDC's latest reports that came out yesterday, it was a report out of Utah, and they said that 92% of the cases that were vaping-related illnesses that were self-reported came from THC. And the other 8% that did not report using THC, they have not been able to confirm. They were not confirmed with drug tests. So basically, they asked them, did you use illegal drugs? And if they didn't... How many are just going to say yes? Is that, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So there was also another study that I read that said basically 48% of young males that'll get admitted to the hospital for illicit drug use don't report their drug use. So if we're looking at half of the people that get, report, get, get admitted to the hospital for illicit drug use don't admit their drug use, I mean, how, what else do you have to say? Especially if you're in a state where drug use is illegal kids are not going to want to admit this stuff. Now, in my opinion, it's the government's job to do the due diligence to actually discover what products are making people sick, so then it would beg the question, why aren't they getting drug tested? Uh, now, with that being said, 92% of the cases have come from tainted THC cartridges. All of the samples of e-liquid that the people were using, the people who did report using nicotine-based e-liquid, were tested for illicit substances. All of the nicotine-containing e-liquids that were tested came back clean. There was absolutely no illicit substances in them. There was no vitamin E acetate. There was no fungicides or pesticides, which are some of the other things that are known to be getting people sick. So the more information that's coming out, the clearer the picture is that tainted black market THC cartridges are the cause of this issue, and the clearer it's becoming that legally bought nicotine-based products are not the cause of this issue. Because that's one of the things that I always hear. How would you, why do you use that? You have no idea what's in that. You have mm -hmm. no idea what's in that. And I think that might be true for maybe some country fair e-liquid that you yeah. get in a little bottle at the cash register. Mm -hmm. But when I go to 710 or any mm -hmm. other local vape shop that mm -hmm. I happen to be near at that time, uh, I asked them what's in it, and they mm -hmm. said, what, basically three things. Four. Four things. What are the, th what it's in a vape? What's propylene, in vape liquid? Propylene, propylene glycol, <clears throat> vegetable glycerin, liquid nicotine, and natural and or artificial flavorings based on the type of flavor that you're using. All right, say that first one more time, because for whatever reason, it peaked out, and, I, and I, you distorted it out there. So I, I fixed your level. Say that one more time. Propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, liquid nicotine, and natural and or artificial flavoring. 
So propylene glycol is one of the bases that people will say, oh my God, well, that, that's antifreeze. You're vaping antifreeze. So propylene glycol is actually used to de-ice airplane wings. And the reason why it's used to de-ice airplane wings is because there's no way to collect what goes into the ground. Propylene glycol is literally the safest thing that they can spray on it that will keep the wings from icing over. That's not going to harm the environment. That's why it's used as this. Propylene glycol is also used as the base for inhaler medication. So if you use an inhaler, your actual medication is dissolved into propylene glycol and then vaporized. So kids are using this when they're taking asthma treatments. Yes. So it's already been a product that's used in a lot of commercial products and it's already used in commercially vaporized products for people that are widely available. Then if we move on to vegetable glycerin, vegetable glycerin is theatrical fog. I'm sure you've been to quite a few concerts in your life. I have too. They've been using this as theatrical fog for years and I years. I guess and I years. never knew that. Interesting, right? Yeah. So and glycerin, I've done a little bit of research. I didn't know that. Yeah, glycerin is actually in Twinkies. It's used as a humectant. Uh, they use it in cosmetics as well. So uh, glycerin, again, is something that's used in a variety of different uh, uses and it's put on your body. We inhale it. We eat it. So it's been something that people you wouldn't really know that you're inhaling or that you're using, but you do. And uh, the government studied these things for quite a long time, but then magically when we put the four of them together, they're dangerous. And I, I'm not going to say that e-cigarettes don't have any harm. Anything we do in life carries harm. Yeah, I don't think you're trying same. to tell people that these are good for you. Correct. I would never... You should, uh, you're not telling a 12-year-old kid that, hey, you should start vaping my product. Well, no. First off, anybody who doesn't use traditional tobacco or combustive tobacco should not use an e-cigarette. No one that does not smoke should vape. Now, with that being said, if you're an adult and you smoke, the vast majority of scientific studies have shown, and another thing that people will say very commonly is, oh, well, e-cigarettes haven't been around that long. We don't really know what they are. The long term. Right. Well... You'd be very surprised to know that e-cigarettes have actually been around for decades. Um, some of the very first versions of modern e-cigarettes were began to be created in the 1980s. Now, these products were definitely way too far ahead of their time, but the first commercially available e-cigarettes in the U.S. came in 2006. So it's been 13 years now, and at this point, there's been, I believe, over 6,000 studies done on e-cigarettes. Some of the most comprehensive being a study that Public Health England did in the UK, which was a seven-year study they began in 2009. And then at the, at the conclusion of the study in 2016, they came out and said that e-cigarettes were at minimum 95% safer for you than smoking. And then at that point, the British government then began to recommend that all smokers immediately switch to using e-cigarettes. And now in the next three years, from 2016 to 2019, smoking rates have dropped at record rates in England to the point where now they would, and this isn't a joke, they actually have e-cigarette stores and hospitals to get people to quit smoking. And here's another thing, too. You, you, put, the, you, you put the facts aside, and you hear a lot of, also for the record, this is one of the very few episodes that we're going to actually vape during. I thought it was fitting. So if you hear some <laughs> some jet engines going off. But you hear like, oh, I would never get caught dead using that douche flute <laughs> or that uh, with a, that robot cock. 
uh, and that's all fun and games, whatever. But at the end of the day, and I get made fun of some, from some friends, but at the end of the day, dude, I, I, smoke, I was smoking up to two packs a day. I smelled like a walking ashtray. How did you feel? I felt depressed. My back was always hurting for whatever reason. I was always short of breath. And, and it, it, dude, not to, mention, not to mention the undeniable you know, link to death and cancer and all over my fingers. Um, and then I'd be coughing up shit every morning as a vocalist. Well, I was going to say it sounds pretty metal, but uh, not aside from uh, the dark depression, nothing of that sounds really good to be an artist or a musician. No, and, and you know, anybody's opinion, personal opinion about what they think it looks like or what mm-hmm. the thing the, the thing is, is I haven't when I, I haven't had a cigarette, you know, once in a blue moon, if I forget my vape or something, mm-hmm. I'll hit a cigarette like once and I'll be like, oh, my God, that sucks. Yeah. Um, well, that's but the importance of flavored e-liquid. I haven't, you know, I haven't had that urge. And as far as nicotine goes, me personally, I'm at the lowest nicotine you can get at a three mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. at a three milligram. So I, I, when that stuff did come out, it freaked me out because, oh, my God, am I going to die? Mm-hmm. But I did consider, you know, what are the chances? Some kid was using some black web or off some deal. Yeah some dealer they're using this e-liquid or this this thc liquid Mm -hmm. right get some really sick they're 14 years old they go to the hospital they don't want to tell their parents or the doctors they were using drugs right they don't want to say where they got it blah 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 next thing you know parents are tripping out my kid was using e-cigarettes can i interject very quickly yeah why is the hospital not drug testing them i mean this is just i think some of them were right well i i to my knowledge, I haven't seen that. Now, I mean, in my opinion, I, I was in a very bad car accident. First thing the hospital did was drug test me. So I understand that's a different situation, but I mean, you would assume that, especially in a state where drugs are illegal, nobody's gonna wanna admit to doing that, especially children that are younger than 18. So in my opinion, you know, we have to ask, but always verify. Yeah. Just seems like common sense. How? What are you? Th- what do you think the chances are? And this might seem like a smart-ass question. That tobacco lobbyists, highly invested in their product, saw the kids were being hurt from this, and saw it as a perfect opportunity to get fucking e-cigarettes out of here, and I mean, were involved in that process. This is a rabbit hole we can go way down into. Yeah, without um, getting into conspiracy, <laughs> conspiracy. But do you um, think that people saw that as an opportunity? In my opinion, tobacco companies are too smart. Um, we common folk here see a problem. The tobacco companies see an opportunity. So in my opinion, when Juul, which is the largest e-cigarette company in the United States, uh, was bought... A minority stake of Juul was bought by Altria Holdings, um, which is a tobacco company. What my thought process when that happened was, big tobacco knows their days are limited. They understand that combustive tobacco is on its last legs. But they're, they're investing, though, in electronic cigarettes. Then some of the brands, yes. So in my opinion, if you're a large multi-billion dollar company and you know the products that you're selling to make money are on the way out, you need to invest in another product that's going to continue to make you money. 
what better product than the product that is poised to be the solution to your problem. So in my opinion, the tobacco company saw this as an opportunity to make money of not only being the problem product, but also the solution. And uh, not only do we agree this is a problem, but hey, we fixed it yeah. and we had the money to get it tested. Yeah, look, we had, we had these great products that we found and we decided, yeah, we should we should invest in these. And we backed them and we got them through FDA approval. Well, here's the problem. You were just describing how using an e-cigarette makes cigarettes less appealing for you. I would uh, make an assumption that that's the flavors of the e-cigarettes, correct? Because it doesn't taste like a cigarette. Yeah, you know how many places I've been? It's like, you mind if I hit this? And they're like, it smells like a cinnamon cookie. Go right ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, well, and that we can touch on addiction too. That's some of the things they, as a recovering addict, you're supposed to stay away from people, places, and things. So obviously, if you're trying to stay away from smoking, the taste or the smell of a cigarette would be a trigger to fall back into that. So with that being said, and tying this back into Juul, it's, they're almost being used as a sacrificial lamb now. So one of the things that made Juul so attractive was the fact that the products are discreet. They have high nicotine content. They also had a lot of variety of flavors. Well, now Juul's actually come out and removed all of their flavors from the market. All they have left on the market really? is tobacco and menthol. Now, in my opinion, and going back in the perspective of tobacco being the problem and the solution, if tobacco has an effective solution to people smoking cigarettes, well, then obviously they're going to quit smoking cigarettes. But if under the current FDA regulations in May of 2020, 99% of vapor products are going to be removed from the market, with the, only mark, with the only product that appears to be now left on the market being Juul. Now, Say that one more time. 2020. Yes. May of 2020 right now is the PMTA deadline, the pre-market tobacco application deadline. So every e-cigarette company needs to submit their PMTAs by May of 2020. If they're not submitted by May of 2020, their products are going to be removed from the market. So that's next year. What's an EMPA? Uh, PMTA, pre-market tobacco application. So I talked to, I think, Todd. Mm-hmm. Wakely, an employee of yours, mm-hmm. good ass dude. Yeah, I talked to him about this a little bit, and he was explaining to me that if any company wanted to have their product tested and FDA approved, it's upwards to. This is what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. How much money does it cost to get one flavor tested by the FDA? So under the PMTA process, uh, our store we manufacture e-liquid. Uh, under, very good, by the way. Excuse me. Which is very good, by the way. Thank you. So uh, under the PMTA process, every flavor, every bottle size, every nicotine level, so every variation of every flavor that we sell is going to need to be registered with the government. Now, we have over 39,000 variations. Of in your store alone? In our store that we manufacture. And that's because we offer a wide variety of flavors. We offer a wide variety of nicotine levels. We offer a wide variety of bottle sizes. So 39,000 SKUs is how many we, per- we personally manufacture. We'd be looking at around a million dollars per SKU to get these products through this process. No joke. Yes. And now when you look at a company like Juul, it makes sense why they're taking their flavored they're flavored products. Off okay, the we've got two, and we've got the money. They only have two flavors, and they only have two nicotine levels, so they have four products that they have to get through market. Um, and their their hardware would be something; it would be a separate issue. But still, you look at a major tobacco company that does billions of dollars in revenue a year, and then you look at small businesses 
which there are around 15,000 of these businesses in the U.S. that don't have the resources to get through these regulations. And so, in my opinion, they're not so much regulations as it is an outright ban. If you're looking at the government creating a regulation which is going to remove 99% of the businesses and close 15,000 small businesses, is that really regulation? Or is that just destroying an industry? And, the de- and being the devil's advocate here, I... Paul, I can I can see why some people would think like you know it should be FDA approved. Yeah. You know, but well, at the same time at the same time that seems like impossible yeah. an impossible level to compete with. Well, and so like personally 39 what is it, how much money a million a piece and you got 39,000 yeah, variations. It's like 39 billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump couldn't afford to do that. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. If I had that much money, I wouldn't be here right now. I love you, but I wouldn't be here. Um, so with that being said, in my opinion, the products need regulated. This is not a question. It's not up for debate. What I would request humbly, if someone from the FDA is listening, um, we need set consumer standards. We need safe manufacturing practices. A lot of the companies that are manufacturing e-liquid in this company, or in this country, excuse me, um, are using the same companies for their flavor bases. They're using the same companies for their liquid nicotine. They're using the same companies to source their vegetable glycerin and their propylene glycol. So that means the products that a lot of these companies are manufacturing are already very similar. So it begs the question of why is the government going to force all of these companies to then have them tested? Instead of, you're saying, instead of having the core products from that manufacturer tested there. Instead of having, say, for example, uh, the individual flavorings from all of the companies that we buy flavorings from tested. Vegetable glycerin, propylene glycol. Make sure there's safe sets manufacturing standards for the base ingredients that go into e-liquid. We certify that all of the ingredients that go into them are safe and within what guidelines they are safe to manufacture. Then we let all of the manufacturers adhere to these guidelines. If they don't, we find them. We remove them from the market. This way, we allow the products to continue to develop. We allow the products to continue to stay on the market. We also are regulating the products. We're making sure that they're getting manufactured in a safe way and that people aren't going to be getting sick from them. See, like, in my opinion, the largest malfeasance here from the government is the fact that marijuana is illegal. And we can see the problem is because in legal states where marijuana is regulated and tested, people aren't getting sick. But then what's happening is because there is such a large black market for marijuana because it's federally illegal, these companies that are manufacturing these clean products they also will have products that aren't clean, that might have pesticides in them or might not pass the state's stringent, stringent tests. So then those products then get sold on the black market. Where are these products coming from? The, the oils that are tainted? Yeah, where um, is it? Like, that's, even I, you know, after reading question. several articles, are they coming from overseas? It, or is it, is it in my opinion, in it's somebody's, a, it's somebody's a combi- bathtub? It's a combination of things. So. The primary illnesses that I've seen people getting sick from is getting caused from vitamin E acetate. And this is getting caused because they're inhaling an oil-based product into their lungs. 
Now, if people are getting cartridges that are tainted with that, that in my opinion is gonna be unscrupulous drug dealers because this is used as a cutting agent. So they're getting distillate, which is liquid THC, and then they're cutting it with a non-active ingredient to lower their cost. Uh, now, if we're talking about marijuana distillate that's tainted with pesticides and things of that nature, in my opinion, that would be coming from legal states because these companies that are growing marijuana and extracting it, not every batch of marijuana is going to be clean and be able to pass the, ta the state's certified test. So they're ditching it into the black market. That would be my assumption is that they're selling it on the black market for cheaper prices and then people are just refilling the carts in black, mar in black markets. And there's been... Uh, Quite a few drug busts here. I think there was a few in Illinois, Wisconsin, uh, some here on the East Coast, multi-million dollar operations of people filling up, you know, empty cartridges with illicit marijuana distillate. And um, I would just really advise people, you know, know what you're putting in your body. Make sure it's coming from trusted sources. We don't want people to get sick. I understand that, you know, again, this is a byproduct of the, the market that we live in, in the country that we live in, these products not being legal, because if they were legal, we would all be getting it from legal dispensaries. We wouldn't have to worry about getting it on the street. The products would be getting tested. And uh, again, you know, that's a malfeasance on the, on the part of the government. And it, it again falls in line with e-cigarettes as well. If we look at what's been happen, what's happening with the black market that's been created with THC, we can then extrapolate that same logic with what'll happen if we ban e-cigarettes. I actually had a business owner, it's a friend of mine in New York, tell me that there's a store in New York, and New York just they, as they, a- They banned it. Flavored. Well, yes, they banned flavored e-liquid. And now this is going through a court battle right now. The ban's been uh, suspended, and they're gonna be going back to court this week coming up, I believe. But one of the store owners in New York that I know was telling me another local business owner was trying to teach all his customers how to make e-liquid. And, uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to this idea because obviously I'm an adult. I learned how to make e-liquid. Now I have a business out of it. I do think some people would be able to do this and would be okay. It seems but like it's opening the door, Pandora's box of just sketchiness. It does because there are people that come into our store and can't change their own coils. You know, I, I'm not saying that some people wouldn't be able to do it and wouldn't be able to do it successfully, but he was telling me that a woman came into his store that was told how to make e-liquid and was going to go to the grocery store and buy vegetable oil to make e-liquid with. Now, uh, just for the listeners out here, you should absolutely not use vegetable oil to make e-liquid. That will kill you. So, so thinking this, vegetable glycerin is vegetable oil. Yes, and that will kill you. Vegetable glycerin is not vegetable oil. Do not use vegetable oil to ever make e-liquid. But this is some of the things, you know, people think they're just trying to do something that's that's good for people and to be nice to them and allow them to continue using the products that they want to use the best of intentions sometimes can lead to bad outcomes and so if we outlaw flavored e-cigarettes or try to ban e-cigarettes or what the fda is doing with removing these products from the market there's already over 13 million adults that use e-cigarettes and they're not going to go back to smoking some of them will but some of them will not. And the ones that will not, who can't get access to these products are gonna go to the black market. And mark my words, more people are gonna die. That's just what's gonna happen. That's been, we've already seen it. It's happening right now with marijuana. History repeats itself. We need to learn the lessons from the things that have happened because they will happen again.
Now, Paul, uh, what we're talking about e-cigs, we're talking about marijuana, and you know, somebody who's in recovery, and I don't smoke weed anymore. Um, I don't have any sort of dark uh, hatred or anything for weed, and I mm-hmm. personally believe it should be legal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, it it should have been legal a long time ago, and I'm I, I'm one of those few people that actually am on board with the whole decriminalizing all drugs. So am I. And and putting that money instead of locking people up who are sick and and confused and you know, turning into monsters because of this addiction, mm-hmm. we should actually decriminalize it. And if people are caught with these drugs, they should be, you know, that money should be put spent on putting them into treatment. Now, is that, is that kind of, or, you know, rec- pushed into recovery instead yeah. of pushed into a, you know, technically a cage? Well, I think you can agree with this point too. Um, someone who's not ready to be better is not going to be better. So when we take someone who's already and so this this kind of just goes to one of my own personal beliefs um they talk a lot about marijuana being a gateway drug in my opinion the only true gateway to addiction is trauma and i speak from my own personal experience um having trauma in my life is what made me attracted to doing drugs um and i I've spoke to a lot of my friends about this in depth too, and it seems to be a very common thread for most people that uh, trauma is the gateway to addiction. And so if we take that thought and keep that in mind with what we do to quote unquote rehabilitate offenders of the law, it doesn't really sync up in my opinion. It doesn't. And just like you were saying, uh, if we, started to look at drug addiction, you know, truly as a disease and as not just they do that because they want to get high. You know, there's a reason to everything in my life. One of the biggest things that I ask any situation, ask myself about any situation on a daily basis is why, what is the driving factor behind this? And you'll, you'll start to realize a lot of stuff about life when you start asking yourself why. And so when it comes to addiction, I 100% agree. I think all drugs should be legalized. And I, I don't think that you should be able to be posted up selling crack to kids. You know, that's not my point. And I think a lot no. of people hear drugs should be legal and they think, oh, my, oh my God. God. Yeah, I'm thinking more along the lines of like, there's got to be a better way uh, for, because I've been in jails. I've been in institutions. So you know, I've spent lots of, I've spent over six years of my adult life mm-hmm. almost in treatments, long-term inpatient facilities. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in there, I saw amazing people, people that I connected with more mm-hmm. so than anywhere else I'd ever been. Right. Uh, with sketch pads, you wouldn't believe the artwork. Right. Uh, with, with, with notepads, you wouldn't believe the poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't believe the musicianship, just it's sensitive empaths mm-hmm. uh beautiful people that are spiritually broken and defeated right. and throwing these people into a prison system yeah is just it makes it it adds to that trauma that it's you're speaking about yeah well and so something that i also personally believe is that connection is the opposite of addiction yes and so if you take I saw that, that on a ted talk right and yeah, so yeah. if you if you genuinely believe this then why are we taking people in the throes of addiction and taking away that connection by putting them in a cage? 
really. If we're trying to help them, then why are we doing that? So I think we're getting there, though. I think more and more people are. I hope we so. were talking about earlier before we started recording mm-hmm. that more and more people in government are starting to understand that. And I know Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania has mm-hmm. come out and, and done a lot for addicts. And it's been because, dude, there's 200. I think last time I looked, which was recently, 200,000 people are ODing from heroin every year to the point where it's lowering the national life expectancy mm-hmm. on average. That's mind-blowing. I know three guys who have died from heroin in the last week. Mm-hmm. That is not a joke. Yeah, that's like, crazy. As of yesterday, a guy that I knew from the program. I'm uh, sorry to hear that. It's insane. You, you and, and you become numb to that. I couldn't tell you how many people that I met in these facilities that are dead. I couldn't even begin to tell you. Like, more than both my hands. You know, and you become... It just makes you want to cry. And and then, you know, you got a guy like Tom Wolf who's like, there's something... And, and whether... I, I don't know his policies from top to bottom. I just, from what I've seen and heard him speak about addiction and some of the things he's implementing, I see that he's looking for a solution. And maybe they haven't got it figured out completely yet. What's this? So I'm showing Tyler something on my phone since we're talking about opioids. Uh, The Pennsylvania Attorney General. Yeah, go for it. uh, That's uh, a $48 billion. Yeah, so the Pennsylvania Attorney General just announced a $48 billion opioid deal. deal. So I don't know if you knew this. Uh, The states had sued several manufacturers of different opioids because of all of the deaths that have been associated with these drugs. And so they came to a settlement, and now the states are getting paid because people are dying. Now, is that going into the lives of individual addicts? Uh, I highly doubt it. <laughs> I don't really have that. $48 billion? Yep, just for Pennsylvania. So, like I was saying previously about history repeating itself, there's actually something that happened very similar to this in the 1990s with tobacco companies. A lot of people don't know about this. It's called the Master Settlement Agreement. And uh, basically what happened is a collection, I think it was 46 states sued the largest tobacco manufacturers in the U.S. And they sued them on the basis that they were telling people that cigarettes were not as harmful as they were and they were causing irreparable harm to public health. And the states were suing the tobacco companies for the money that they had spent on taking care of sick people, people that had gotten sick because of tobacco illnesses, tobacco-based illnesses or tobacco-caused illnesses. Which are endless and and keep adding every year, the list. Yep. And so we already know half of all people that take up smoking are going to get killed by it. So with this being said, I, off the top of my head, I think it was $265 billion the tobacco companies were obliged to pay the states over 25 years. Now, I don't uh, personally assign a dollar value to human life, but to the states of the United States, $265 billion is what it was worth to uh, let people die from smoking for decades. So with that being said, this has already happened. And now in the state of Pennsylvania, actually, we've we're in such a bad financial crisis. The state of Pennsylvania has actually taken out loans against the tobacco master settlement payments that we're getting. And because of the advent of e-cigarettes, tobacco paint or tobacco smoking rates had been so consistent for years and years. Pennsylvania had a pretty good idea of how much money we were going to get back on the payments, right? 
Well, then when e-cigarettes really came, started coming to light 2014 to 2016, the adult smoking rate started to plummet. And now Pennsylvania being in such dire financial straits is not going to be able to repay its tobacco settlement debts because we get paid based on So they're off already of the spending amount. this money. It's already that they, spent. That they projected to make from this. Yep. And now they're going to get less because there's less smokers because of e-cigarettes. And it makes a lot more sense now why e-cigarettes got taxed at a 40% rate. The state's not making the money they need to make. And it also makes sense why they're going to make, they got to make it somewhere, right? Right. It also makes sense why states like New York and Michigan have outright put bans on these products when they have some of the highest master settlement payments. So you think, so you're thinking without a doubt, there is more at play here than some kids got sick. Um, yeah, without a doubt, there's more at play. I mean, when you're a disruptive industry and you're doing things that other industries don't necessarily want, I would say yes. And then on top of that, the government makes more money off cigarettes than any other company does. I mean, in Pennsylvania alone, $2.65 off every pack of cigarettes you buy goes to the state of Pennsylvania. You know, when I think about tobacco money, I start thinking about like Anheuser-Busch money and how big the craft beer explosion has become. And I know that the people, the craft brewer, you know, brewing companies have had to jump through hoops to be able to put, you know, they, they, do you see the tax that they're proposing on local craft breweries too? Is it outrageous? Uh, I don't know too much about it, so don't quote me on it, but, uh, I saw an article in the, in the Go Erie news or in Go Erie, they were talking about adding, uh, some kind of tax to craft breweries and, I kind of looked at it and rolled my eyes, and I'm just like, you know, go figure. They're just coming after the little guy. Well, I know, I know for a fact that, um, because I've played a lot of breweries with music. I've played over 78, I think to be exact, 78 breweries in three states. That's awesome. Um, and like I said, I don't drink currently, but I don't, I don't. And most of the brewery owners I've met are awesome, good mm-hmm. people, and they're doing good things in their community, and mm-hmm. uh, they're just trying to do something cool and unique. I do know that Anheuser-Busch is roaming around and they're secretly buying up a lot of these these craft breweries. Really? And they're not telling people about it for millions of dollars. I mean, you got to think about it. That's very interesting. Think about the percent of the market that Anheuser-Busch had 20 years ago. Well, now, now and think about it, say the craft breweries have taken say 15% even, you know. It's a big market. Think about how much money that is. And they're sitting back thinking, okay, we've been making such and such for so long. And now we're making, you know, 15 plus percent less. Um, you know damn well they're not really just going to shut the doors. They're, they're, and they're lobbying with politicians and all that. And I'm sure just like in the tobacco industry. Well, just like we were talking about before with tobacco companies and the dichotomy of being the problem and the solution. You can take that same logic and look at Anheuser-Busch. So... There's always going to be the people that want that cheap beer, and you know, actually, you can Budweiser. even yeah, you can even look at that in terms of you know uh, economic disparity. There's always going to be those people. I wouldn't I wouldn't say always because the hope is that everyone does well and everybody gets out of poverty. That is the hope for every person in this country. But at the point of where we are right now, some people only afford Budweiser, Bud Light. That's what they want. That's, That's what, what they, they can like. afford. Yeah. Whatever the reason. So a smart company like Budweiser is going to maintain that product. But then also there's people who are going to say, nah, I don't want that. It's just like 
people who smoke marijuana also. There's people who don't really care what kind of marijuana they smoke. They don't need the craft boutique marijuana. They don't care what it looks like as long as they can smoke and it gets them high and it's cheap. So everybody has their preference. Now, as a smart, large business, it would make sense to capture both ends of the market, the cheap end, the mass produced end, but also the craft end. I know uh, I had spoken to uh, a young woman who owns a beer distributor in town. And she told me, loves the advent of craft breweries because craft beer they can actually make a little bit of money on. So it would make sense from a business perspective why you would try to get into a higher profit margin section of your industry, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. You're, try- you're going for a different uh, a different demographic or a, di- or a yeah. different section of that business. Yeah, and I, I see where you're going with it too. Like you're taking back some of the market share that's getting taken away from you, but realistically you're taking up a different segment of the market. It's a whole different customer base that's buying those products and you're well, just basically pulling in that market share. But, but think about it though. In 2005, when you went to any bar in this country, you did not have 56 options. So I'm going to be honest. I'm 29. I didn't turn 21 until... Like back in 1997. Hold on. I didn't turn 21 (laughs) until 2010. And my birthday is December 31st. So uh, New Year's baby. Yeah. So What year were you born, you said? 1989. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. was the last of a very coked out decade. <laughs> I was I was eighty seven, so I was right yeah. behind you. Yeah. So like, uh, but but where I was trying to go with this is I didn't turn twenty one until two thousand and ten, and I didn't actually go to a bar for the first time until I was twenty six. Wow. So yeah, well, I, good for oh, you though. I so you're you're saying like <laughs> remember a bar back then? Well, I only remember a bar in two thousand and sixteen. So, you know. Paul, one of the reasons I had you here is because I, I found out about you. Uh, I worked with a guy that used to work with you, Andy Hemi. I love Hemi. Shout out to Hemi. Uh, we used to come w- back, baby. Yeah, where is he? He's in Florida now. So, real quick before I get into my story, what's up with Hemi? Here's, here's my shameless plug for my best friend. Uh, we started our business together in 2014. He decided in 2017 that he wanted to move on, be happy, be with the love of his life, give up working 80 hours a week, which I don't fucking blame him. And uh, he moved down to Florida with his fiance, Sydney. They ended up getting married. I was very thankful and very blessed to be one of the best men at their wedding. And uh, good for them. If memory serves me, the crazy lovers moved down to the Virgin Islands three days later. Wow, have you seen him since? Yeah, I've been down to visit him a couple times. I mean, does he better? own a restaurant or something there? Yeah, I think. Uh, I don't He's an give, entrepreneur. I don't want to give out too much of their business, but I, I believe him and his wife have a restaurant down there. Um, it's called Cafe Roma, St. John USVI. That's not a shameless plug at all. Um, but yeah, I would very much like to go and see him more. And I mean, what better excuse to go to the paradise and go see your best friend, you know? And I brought Hemi up. Like I said, shout out to Hemi. But I remember working with him at Rum Runners. We both worked down there in the kitchen in the summer. And uh, I was just starting to do a lot of music and starting to do a lot of shows regionally and stuff. And and he and he, all the breaks, you know, he's always vaping. And he's like, me and my friend, me and my friend, we're starting a vape shop. We're starting. And you know how a lot of people just say shit? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's crazy to know that, like, literally, like, right after that summer started... I went out to visit the shop and I met you mm-hmm. and we actually had hung, we hung out a couple times mm-hmm. and uh, 
And I was like, oh shit. And now to think, what, 2014? Mm-hmm. So this is what, like four or five years ago? Yeah. Uh, now you're opening your fourth location. Fourth location. Yeah. Um, and he now is down in the islands owning yeah. a restaurant. Like yeah. you guys weren't fucking around. <laughs> no. You guys were telling the truth. A lot of people talk shit. A lot of people, you, to, to be under 30 and to have the information, the knowledge of this business that you have and to have it in to play and be doing this and, uh, you know, whatever anybody out there thinks of e-cigs or doesn't know or, you know, with all that misinformation going on, you stuck to your guns and you believe in the product mm-hmm. and you've done some pretty impressive shit, man. I mean, it's just work. I, I get that, but... Um, My ambition far outweighs any measure of talent which I possess. Yeah. And ambition's a lot. You like that? I do like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a burnout, so I, I, I sat and listened to just soak that in for a minute. Yeah. No, but it's true, though, and I mean... Say that one more time. My ambition far outweighs any measure of talent which I possess. Yeah, there's a lot of talented people out there that have no ambition. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of ambitious people that have no talent. I just thankfully have a little bit of talent and a lot of ambition. You're a, you know, we better watch out. Ten more years, you're going to be like the Mark Cuban of Erie. Yeah, I'd get out of here. <laughs> no, I'm just talking <laughs> shit. But, you know, what is, you know, I've never started a business. Yeah. Um, I do music and art, and mm-hmm. I've always lacked in the business end. And it's hard. Yeah, and, and any more... I'm really soaking it in and I'm learning as much as I can about new approaches to what I'm doing and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and introducing new avenues like this podcast because it's something mm-hmm. cool and, and it gets me going. I really have to be passionate about what mm-hmm. I'm doing or I'm not going to do it. Right. I know. You understand that? Yeah. So what... I'm kind of lost for words. I'm trying to think what I want to ask you. Um, what is it you know, how difficult has it been to jump through these hurdles and to make these things happen for a dude under 30? Extremely. How much well, discipline does it take to be able to do this? Well, first off, you were, you were kind of saying like, you know, how, like when you and Hemi got started. Well, first off, Hemi, I love you. Hemi has a tattoo across his back. It's P.O.S. To remind him that he's been a piece of shit in his life. And uh, this was something that him and I had talked about extensively before we opened our business and as we were opening our business. I myself have been a piece of shit in my life. And uh, when we decided to start our business, my thought process was I've fucked off for 24 years of my life. It's about time I start giving that amount of effort into doing something positive. And so it just came down to making the choice to be different. So what, so what was 2012 Paul doing? (laughs) Uh, I actually just shared a pretty accurate meme on Facebook (laughs) about 2012 me. Um, Let's see here. I uh, worked at U-Haul. That's pretty much it. Worked at U-Haul, didn't really do much with my life, didn't have too much ambition, smoked a lot of weed. You said you had uh, some issues with drugs. Yeah. You want to get into that a little bit? I could yeah. talk all day with you about that. When I was uh, when I was 17 years old, uh, 
And, you know, all kids experiment. I had smoked marijuana. Pills were never really my thing. I did, I had experimented with psychedelics, mushrooms, LSD. The first uh, addictive drug that I ever did that really opened my eyes was MDMA. And uh, it's not your traditional heroin or coke or meth, but... It's a hell of a drug. Yes, it is. And I've been being, there. And being a young kid and doing that, I, I explicitly remember the very first time I did it, telling my friend that I was with that I never thought I would find a drug that I loved more than marijuana. But I did. And It um, is what it is. I mean, it's, it's complete ecstasy. <laughs> yeah. Hence the name. Yeah, it, uh, it feels very good. And so every person has their drug of choice. Anything that feels that good has got to be pretty bad for you. Yeah. Well, and this is something that I actually had explained to me many, many years later. But just as, as a perspective thing, you know, you live your daily life. And just in terms of your serotonin, your dope, your serotonin or your dopamine production, you know, uh, neurotypical person, you go and you love dogs. You see a dog. You're going to get a little spike of serotonin and dopamine. You feel good. You love dogs. You get that little rush. And then you go in, you know, you see your best friend. You might get a little bit bigger rush of serotonin. You're like, oh my God, I love them. And then, you know, you might have your birthday party and all your friends are there and it's a great time. You had one of the best days of your life. You know, that's a huge rush of serotonin. It's natural highs we get. Right. But then you do ecstasy and the amount of serotonin that your body is flooded with is a million times higher than what you get from any situation in life. It doesn't mean those situations in life are less meaningful or affect you less. It's just that your perspectives have changed. And so I think that this is one of the problems with addiction and that people in recovery have is trying to find the same joy. And I think that's one of the fallacies that we have to live with as recovering addicts that maybe life is never going to have that. Would you consider yourself a recovering addict? Um, yes, just because when you're addicted to something and I mean, me personally, I don't think necessarily drugs is the only bad behavior that I've been addicted to in my life. Um, I also believe addiction personally is something that is genetic and I know, you know, there's a lot of addiction in my family. Likewise. So with that being said, you know, it's just acknowledging that there's a problem is the first step in solving it. So I like what you said there. Um, it's hard to match. It's hard to parallel. And, and that's the problem with addicts is you do these things that blast your fucking serotonin and your dopamine and the chemicals in your brain. Yeah. They just flush in it. And this artificial, artificial high feeling you get of happiness mm-hmm. is so intense mm-hmm. that everyday life could never possibly match it. Right. And you, and you, and, and, and this is horrible what I'm about to say, but, and you see addicts who will walk away from their families, walk away from their friends, walk away from their lovers or spouse, walk away from a job because they cannot let that go. Mm -hmm. And addiction is obsessive and compulsive, Mm -hmm. compulsive issues, Mm -hmm. you know, brain disorder, disease, whatever you want to call it. You have issues with obsession and compulsion Mm -hmm. and drugs become a symptom of that obsession. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you find something that, you know, when I was a kid, I went through, you know, my biological dad wasn't around. He was real into drugs. I spent the majority of his life in prison. Um, I went through some, some abuse, mental abuse and some physical abuse, uh, nothing crazy, crazy, but 
it, I remember, you know, that, that social anxiety in school, not feeling like I belonged, not feeling like I was a part of. And then when I found that shit, that everything made sense to me mm-hmm. because maybe I was a person that had naturally low serotonin to begin with. Maybe. You know, and when I found that shit, like you were saying, when you found ecstasy, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, I didn't know mm-hmm. that I could feel this way. Mm-hmm. And that began, you know, the first time I ever did real, real hard drugs, it's probably like 18. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm 32. That had turned into over a decade mm-hmm. of just fucking crashing and burning coming to crashing and burning coming to getting my shit together forgetting how i got there to begin with and then going right back they say addicts are uh, slow learners and quick forgetters i know that's true for me (laughs) but see see in what you're 29 you got four businesses there's got to be some there's got to be a level to you that that motivation is made up of obsession and compulsive behavior Right, you're 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 tweaking. So, you're using that for good. That what just hit. My so mic there's there. a book that I would advocate anybody who's an empath, especially, should read. But anybody should read, and it's called A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. And what it's about is how we as individuals can be subtly manipulating people without intentionally doing it. Oh, for sure. And so the whole content of this book, it's written for people who are empaths, who are people who find themselves in the situations of being manipulated and being taken advantage of. And it's written in the perspective of helping them identify the situations in which this is the most likely to happen. Now, I actually read this book because of the opposite of this. I, in my life, have been someone that's very manipulative to the detriment of the people around me and to myself. And so I read this book because I wanted to be more self-aware of my negative or my destructive behaviors. And so uh, I actually am what is classified as a manipulative personality but uh, what I do to exercise or what I do to healthily get rid of those things is competitive nature. I don't. So what this goes back to is it all all of the psychology of this is based on how we were raised. And so typically. And this is going to sound a little bit weird. People, no, go for it. People who are manipulative are manipulative because they are in their mind having a fight or flight based response. Mm. And so they are either winning or losing. And so that's why you get in a fight with somebody and it literally becomes an argument where I'm right. You're wrong. I'm winning. You're losing. It goes back to, so for me, it feeds, it feeds that need. Yep. So for when I winning, yep. So for when I was a kid, I was picked on a lot. I was never really popular. I was always in a constant battle. I had to fight for everything I wanted. If I wanted to have friends. Even with yourself is what you're saying. Yep. If I wanted to have friends, if I wanted to be popular, it was a battle. If I wanted to, you know, do something that I wanted to do at home, it was a battle for myself to get stuff done so that my parents would let me do something. Um, And I mean, like get schoolwork done because I just wasn't motivated to do it. And so 
throughout the years of forming my, who my personality is and who I am as an individual, that fight got ingrained in me. And so as an individual and as an adult now, that's part of my personality. But the way that I take it out healthily is through competitive sports. I very much, I like golf and I like golf for the reason of nobody is ever going to be perfect at golf. Nobody's ever going to hit the ball one time right in the hole, every hole and shoot an 18 on the course. It's a spectrum. It's how good can you be? And every time you hit the ball, you can have something to improve. So for me, golf is a very good microcosm of how I live my life. Every time I wake up, I'm not perfect. And I have something to improve on every single day. Damn right. Just like when I'm on the golf course and I'm swinging the club. Every time I'm imperfect, every time I learn, every time I get better. You're hitting me right in the heart right now. <laughs> so that's why totally I like it. Totally relate. So that's why I like it. And so, but going back to the psychology of it, I have had those tendencies in my life where I have taken out that need to fight on the people that I care about. And so one of the things that I've realized through reading this book is that I do have lots of healthy avenues that I have that I can take out this need to fight for what I want or to fight for what I feel like I deserve or for whatever. And so business is one of those healthy outlets. I mean, it's not necessarily healthy to be working in your business 16 hours a day, which I have done, but it is, it's a balance. It is. It is productive. It's more productive than doing drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Fucking damn right it is. But with that being said, you know, there was a point in my life when I was so uncomfortable in my mind that I needed to do drugs, that that gave me that comfort there. And so actually, do you know how a lobster grows? Uh, You should tell me. So a lobster, I can imagine, but I, I could be completely wrong. A lobster is a soft, mushy creature which exists in a hard shell. So a lobster knows to grow because it grows uncomfortable in its shell. Its body grows too large for its shell and it grows uncomfortable. So if the lobster never grew uncomfortable, it would never be signaled that it had to shed its shell and grow a new one. Meaning if we were lobsters or if a lobster was a person when it grew uncomfortable it would just go to the doctor and get a xanax and it would move on with its life and it would never grow because it would never get uncomfortable because we as individuals like to live in a state of comfort we don't like to be uncomfortable so a lobster grows through uncomfortability and change and we as individuals should take a lesson from this too Whenever something in life is going on that's difficult or makes you feel uncomfortable, this is a signal for growth. This is a time for you to make the choice of going back in your shell and being the person that you were or shedding it and growing a new one and being the better version of the person that you can be. And I've definitely heard that uh, change is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and growth is uncomfortable. And I'll tell you what, dude, this last year, you know, drugs... I had this idea of what was cool and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do when I was younger. Me too. Okay. And then I started with the music. I started being able to do it. People started paying attention, even just regionally. Uh, Then I started touring and I started making money and living off of this. Not millionaire, obviously, not cover of Rolling Stone. But getting by. But getting by and 
off of what I was told I could never get by doing. Mm-hmm. It's I empowering. Add, it, it is empowering, but something wasn't right on the inside. And, and, and I started using all these drugs and they amplified that security. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, oh my, you know, and it amplified such a distorted version of reality. Mm-hmm. And it helped me hyped myself up like I was enough. You know, I am who I think I am, blah, 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 blah. These drugs help me fine-tune my creativity. I'm a, a unique addict. Uh, I do something, you know, I don't have to go to a factory in the morning, so I can be fucked up at noon and still play a kick-ass show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that crumbled. Yeah. And this past year has, you know, relationships with my son and my family and my friends and who I thought were my friends uh, – were not what I thought it would be and I was not the person I thought I was and it's been so uncomfortable uh, stepping out of that denial taking a look in the mirror and just accepting the fact that like in in positive ways like hey you know I'm more than just Mm -hmm. a guy that shows up at a venue and gets all fucked up and it was a blast like I can't be just that guy um, that I always wanted to be because I I ended up doing that to some scale Mm -hmm. and it was miserable and it, it, and I thought it was ultimately, you know, an authentic, true version of myself. And it turned out it was some shell that, uh, that I wasn't happy in. And I had no spiritual. You needed to shed it. And I had, yeah. And this past year has been super uncomfortable. And, but I l- reflect back on it. Mm-hmm. I just got a year clean last week from, awesome, from man. drugs, all drugs and alcohol. And, you know, nothing against anybody that drinks or smokes weed or anything. Like if, if, if that's your thing and it doesn't fuck your life up, good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been, you know, you hit the nail on the head right there. It has been uncomfortable and, um, it's been hard to go out and pop my head in mm-hmm. the local venues and stuff it, it, because I've been needed to work on myself and these spiritual principles that I'm trying to implement in my life. And I too am a manipulative person yeah. and I don't want to be that. So accepting the fact that I am that hurts mm-hmm. and trying to change that hurts, but it's so beautiful that progression and ditching that shell. Yes. And so many people that are in recovery or trying to be in recovery, they get to that point Oh my God, like I got to start paying bills. I've got to start being legit. I can't do it. I'm going back. Yeah. I'm going back into my shell and I'm getting some shit. Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. Why do you play music? Like what, what do you want people to get from your music when they listen to it? And see, that's a big conflicting question um, because I feel like you know, I always thought that party guy image, I started blowing that up in my head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I started playing music was because it allowed me to express things that I could not express in any other way. And I found out I was good at it. Mm-hmm. I had a natural talent for it. I felt like I, it gave me human connection when I sat and played at a campfire mm-hmm. and I could tell that everybody there was dead silent and connected to that. It gave me some sort of connection to the world and I offered a unique, you know, brand of that connection. And, and then, you know, building it up into all the drugs and shit, it's, I was living against my own message. You know, my own message, mm-hmm. uh, comes through in a lot of my music. And, and, and I realized I write a lot of my best music um, sober, clean, and enlightened. Mm-hmm. You know, and doing that kind of music, high, 
really beat me down. But like, I, I think to get to the core of your question, I do it because I have this um, urge inside of me of creating mm-hmm. and wanting connection with that creation and then offering that creation uh, and connection to other people. And it's, and it's intense and it's a battle with myself. Like you were saying with business, it is competitive for me and it's endless Mm -hmm. and it's so objective. It is, you know, and there's so many genres of music. There's so many things. There's so many instruments I like to play. Um, it's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. And one song could embody exactly how I feel that second at that moment and hope to God somebody else somewhere that's listening to that has that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to the next day, it could be something completely different. But to have an outlet that you can do that, there's nothing like it. Yeah. You know, and that goes for people that paint, people that are engineers, people that are business owners, people Mm -hmm. that strive for something better. Like I have that motivation in me. Yeah. And that motivation can be really distorted, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and drugs and alcohol can become that vision for a lot of people or, or you know, you become disillusioned. So then you were talking about your message and your music. What would you say that is? Whew. Now I'm on the spot. Um, well, no, because I, I genuinely am curious. Well, because and the reason why I ask is because like in my life, one of the things that I think is the most important because we, we were talking about addiction and everything. Um, One of the things that I think is the most important avenues away from addiction is identifying your purpose. Yeah. Because I I, I think that's something that all of us struggle with in our lives is figuring out what what we're here for. I think that it's it's becoming, my message is becoming more and more clear. Mm -hmm. It it comes from the soul because 90% of the stuff that I've ever put out it's never like I sat around for six months like I want to have a song about this. It's mm-hmm. I sat down and it came and out. It came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think the message is I've lived this and I'm going to tell about it and hopefully um, hopefully, in, in, inspire other people by it. Mm-hmm. But like I have this, you know, I've been a burden to many I've known. I'm jumping from shipwrecks to find a new home. She calls from the valleys and meadows I've grown. It's a long way back from being alone. It's a long way back from being alone. So, like, that's one of it's the beautiful. new... You know, I've been a burden to many I've known. So, it, it it's taking, like you said, taking negative energy, negative attributes, and tooling them to be positive attributes. There's actually a word for that. What's that? Transmutation. Transmutation. Yeah. It's converting negative energy to positive energy. Sounds like something affiliated with Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But uh, that's first First man. vocal. First vocal. Live vocal ever done on the podcast, Paul. Uh, I feel very blessed. <laughs> I'm so Thanks glad you're here. This is, I'm having a really good time. I mean, me too, man. I actually, uh, this is a little bit of personal information. I, uh, I've sang my entire life. So I went to Catholic grade school. I went to St. James. I used to sing in choir when I was a kid. And then uh, when I was in grade school, we sang in a music group. It was called M&M's, Music Moves Us. And then uh, when I went to high school, I did one year at Collegiate Academy. I was in Chamber Singers in Collegiate Academy. And then uh, when I went to Harbor Creek High School, I was in audition only chorus at Harbor Creek too. So I also have somewhat of a musical background, although I don't know if I'm as talented of a musician as you are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you, 
uh, I, I was a kid that tried out for choir twice and didn't make it. Yeah. So, so I, I, I don't naturally hear harmony. Do you naturally hear harmony? So it's really weird because or were my, you taught harmony? my mom's father as a job tuned pipe organs he repaired pipe organs. So he'd go to a church and you'd see those massive pipes. They're huge. And he'd play the organ and he'd listen to it and he could identify which pipe was off pitch just by listening to it. So I'm blessed with and that. That is your, that's your grandfather? That's my mom's father. Yep. Okay. I've never met him. He's been dead my entire life. But, uh, but part of him's in you. Yep. So uh, I've been blessed with very good pitch my whole life. And, uh, I very much enjoy singing. It's just not something I pursued too much as an adult, you know? Yeah. I heard you sing and I got jealous. I'm like, damn, I want to sing. We could harmonize pretty good. <laughs> 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 I am. A... Yeah. This podcast though has been a new outlet for me because I, I needed, I love music, dude. I'm always going to create music. I write all the time. I'll probably play after you leave nice. when I'm not doing it. I want to do it. It's it's almost a curse to, to yeah. some degree, and uh, I'm con- I just worked on a new record, mm-hmm. and and I and I'm not I, I don't know, dude. I'm just at a you know this whole lobster analogy. I'm at this crossroad in my life. Isn't it crazy? And you know, music can be so in today's day and age. Me 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 me. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be like that. Yeah. So my approach is changing. But uh, you know, in this podcast, you is, have to, in a way, somewhat. You do, you do, just to and, get out there. And, and so I've spent some time. I know I can tour again. Uh, I know I still write good songs. I really have. I really, really believe that. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, there's so much more to be done with with me in music. Mm-hmm. And uh, my latest, my project that I'm working heavily with now, Smilo and the Ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know if you've ever heard, but that's my shit right now. And mm-hmm. I, and and. I've always started bands, and then, like, I'm a grass is greener on the other side guy, mm-hmm. like, junkie of that. Yeah. Like, anytime I'm in a relationship, anytime that I'm in a project, uh, okay, this is cool, but, like, I could be doing this. And, and mm-hmm. that mentality really leads nowhere. Yes. So, I'm, Ghost has been something that, like, I invested in through the good and the bad. And, uh, but I always know that, that, that music's there. But, uh, you know, have you ever been thinking and Bob Dylan talks about this uh he does this last thoughts on Woody Guthrie and it, there is this whole I don't, I don't quote me there's this whole section like uh you know there's something in us all that bothers you deeply when you're lying in bed knowing you got something that some this is say that someone someone somewhere mm-hmm. uh, needs to hear and it needs to be said blah 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 blah. it's like everybody's got yearning to like in I think social media platforms offer that up a voice for everybody right um, and so I thought there was so much more that I felt like I needed to say and hear than what I could do within the limitations of a song. Right. And hence why I started this podcast. Because, you know, I saw with you specifically, I wanted to talk about this. I saw the thing you did on the local, was it Fox News? Uh, it was Erie News Now, Channel and, 12 and 35. And you had what, like two minutes to explain? Yeah, like two any- minutes, yeah. You know, and and I could tell that the person talking to you had no idea what you were trying to say, mm-hmm. and not to discredit them. No, but no, and she and Brianna and Brianna Andrews was the reporter. In her credit, uh, she did go against what was at the time the official narrative, and she did. I'm very appreciative for her, and I I oh, yeah. told her this personally, and I will say it again. I, I'll happily work with them again. 
Um, just because when we met with her, you know, she kind of told us, look, you know, I want to get the other side of the story that's not really getting aired on the news. I want to talk to you guys. I want to see what you guys have to say. And she framed the story in exactly how she told us she was going to. And uh, I have a lot of respect for that. So I do very much appreciate her taking the time and, you know, doing the best that she can to learn Working about Working within those, those limitations. Yep. But there is, there, it's just such a nuanced subject that it's very difficult to compact it into two minutes. And then <laughs> this is also kind of funny too. Uh, I was expecting that we were going to do it inside. And then when I got there. It's like dark in a parking lot or something. <laughs> excuse me. What well, was on their outside deck? And when I got there, they're like, oh, we're going to do it outside on the deck. And I'm like, why? And she said, just to add to the confusion here, the producer actually thought something might be able, might happen, something might happen where something could explode. So that's why they didn't want to do it inside. And then when you watch the experiment, you realize how ridiculous it is to think that something was going to explode. Because you were was. just, and what did you do on that? <laughs> so what I did is I took uh a black market THC cartridge, which a friend gave to me because they were afraid to use it. So technically, did you have that illegally? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, it was illegal drugs. I didn't. I didn't buy it. It was given to me, but I was still possessing an illegal drug. I mean, marijuana is decriminalized in the city, so if they wanted to give me a ticket, I suppose give me a ticket. But so I had for scientific a, purposes. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I was using it. I was using yeah. it for demonstration. I'm sure you didn't use it afterward. No. <laughs> so. Uh, Basically, I had the cartridge there, and in a lot of the instances where people are getting sick, what's happening is they're getting fatty tissue buildup on their lungs, and this is caused from them inhaling an oil-based substance. Your body can't process this. So by simply showing the contents of the cart mixing with water and anybody, I'm pretty sure we all know oil and water don't mix. Yeah. So when you- They separate. Yes, correct. When you put the uh, contents of the cart into water, it literally stays separated. It doesn't mix. But then when you mix e-liquid with water, the e-liquid dissolves right into water and it makes solution. So that's what it does when it hits your lungs. Exactly. Since e-liquid is water soluble and our bodies are over three quarters water, when you vaporize e-liquid and it goes into your lungs, your body is able to process that down. What it breaks it down into is... To the best of my knowledge, glucose, sugar, uh, because... Can you gain weight from vaping? I have not. Uh, also, in terms of being diabetic, one of my employees, the store manager for our store in Conneaut... Oh, I never knew it, it broke down his glucose. Yep. He's diabetic and he vapes all the time. It doesn't have an effect on his sugar levels. Okay. So, very interesting. You have to start coming out with diet juice. Yeah, well, and like <laughs> this is something that like, light custard, the custard I, light. I don't really like to bring this up to people, but like I personally act, I personally use vaping. It does help me curb my appetite because I vape sweet flavors. I have a really bad sweet tooth, and um, so anytime after I eat a meal, I always want something sweet, and so it really helps me personally when I eat a meal and then instead I instead of eating a donut, I just vape a sweet flavor. Yeah, or instead of going home and eating half a tub of ice cream. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or going to Fat Lenny's and getting some ice cream. You know? So that says so much that experiment. Uh, and and if people can't visualize it, I am visualizing the lung. And 
I've read shit that like, okay, you're vaping this shit and it's, you picture all this stuff that's got to be floating around in your lungs, this oil. Um, But you're saying that does not happen because it's water soluble and it's Mm -hmm. being sucked up through all the blood vessels and such. Well, and when you inhale vapor, you know, obviously you're inhaling a larger volume. People think it's smoke. Correct. It's not smoke. So if it's we're going to water vapor, if we're, it's not really water vapor either. If we're going to get scientifically accurate, we'll be scientifically accurate. So oh, hit me with it. when you smoke, smoke is created through combustion. The process of combustion, you're actually heating up. Say, for example, if you're combusting tobacco, if you're smoking a cigarette, you're actually heating up the tobacco to the point where it's now combining with oxygen and burning, combusting and creating completely different like chemicals. burning leaves in a trash barrel. Exactly, just like a fire. When you're using an e-cigarette, you're boiling the liquid Instantly. inside the e- inside the e- inside your tank, inside your e-cigarette. So the chemical process of boiling is you're heating up the constituents of the liquid to the point where the molecules of that liquid have so much energy, they break free of their bonds of being a liquid and become a gas. You're not combining with oxygen. You're not combusting anything. So herein lies the health benefits in relation of vaping to smoking. There's no combustion. It's a different chemical process. And then the vapor that you see, there is some water vapor in it, but the primary constituents of e-cigarette vapor is vaporized propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, nicotine, and flavoring. It's the exact same thing that is in a liquid, but now it's a gas. So... You know, I know obviously uh, you don't speak on behalf of science, uh, and this might seem like a dumb question, but a lot of the tar, a lot of that stuff comes from the combustion, correct? Yes. And now, I mean, I don't have to be a scientist to speak about this because this is pretty much widely accepted scientific fact that nicotine does not kill people who smoke. Nicotine is a stimulant that has... About the same effect as caffeine, correct? It has about the same relative harms to the body outside of the context of smoking combustive tobacco. There's a lot of misconceptions. People think that nicotine is giving you cancer. Correct, yes. So there have been a multitude of studies that have shown nicotine. And I've seen them. I've seen them. Yes, that show nicotine outside of the context of smoking. So nicotine outside of smoking a cigarette is only about as harmful for you as caffeine. Now, Hence why they hand out... Uh, the gum and the patches like candy. Right. And now that also is a whole nother conversation because they flavor gums and lozenges for nicotine, but then nicotine flavored e-cigarettes are bad. Well, with that being said, smoking and what kills you from smoking is the tar. And so, and then how many, how many chemicals are in? Oh God, off the top of my head, I want to say 7,000 plus. So the, the argument of, Hey, you don't know what's in that thing. Um, <laughs> could really be well, said for cigarette for cigarettes, right? And something else that's really mind blowing, and a lot of people don't know this. Um, I don't know if it's Altria. I'm not sure which tobacco company did get it through the PMTA process, but there actually is the very first new tobacco product that got passed through the PMTA process, which our businesses aren't going to be able to get through. It's called the Iquos. It's a heat not burn tobacco stick. So basically. What Big Tobacco did was they said, vaping is bad. You shouldn't use an e-cigarette. But then what they did was they made, it's called heat not burn. And if you were listening to my explanation of how an e-cigarette works. I think I've seen, um, 
some prototype ads for this. Yeah, it looks kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't really know, a little keychain or pod thing, and it has a, like a little cigarette butt sticking out of the end of it. And what you do is you get little pre-filled tobacco sticks, and you stick the little tobacco stick down in it, and the Icos has a little metal rod that goes up through the middle of the tobacco stick, which is a heating element, and it vaporizes a cigarette. So literally, big tobacco sitting here demonizing e-cigarettes. So you put it in a regular cigarette. No, they they have like specialized, like specially treated tobacco sticks. And now, this is the other funny thing. When people say, "Oh, well, we don't know what's in e- in e-cigarettes," there's four ingredients. Well, e- even in this iQOS that just or iQOS that just got passed through the FDA PMTA process, there's like at 57 different additives that they spray on the tobacco so that it it gives it flavor and all so it works stuff. properly too yeah and i mean literally in the studies that big tobacco funded so that this product could get through the pmta process it actually has been shown to be more harmful than what we anticipate the harm from e-cigarettes is going to be and the fda passed it through the pmta process but it's because they had the money you know? so and to, and to say this one more time you don't believe that people that have never smoked should vape. No, absolutely not. And now with that being said, I know even as a business owner. Correct. Yes. And now I have met people that use e-cigarettes that have never smoked. Um, and with that being said, one of the big arguments against e-cigarettes and especially with children using e-cigarettes is that e-cigarettes are going to lead people who've never been smokers to smoking. And now granted, I'm only talking about two people that I've met recently, but uh, one of these gentlemen told me that he uses it for his anxiety. For vaping? Yep. He said he gets real anxious on a daily basis, and the, just the process of putting it to his mouth and then vaping just makes him super calm. And he actually told me his doctor recommended it to him. Wow. And I was like... Over cigarettes, I'm sure. Well, I don't think any doctor would ever recommend somebody smoke cigarettes, but his doctor literally said, you know, hey, nicotine can actually be used as a way to calm your mind. Try an e-cigarette. And he's been vaping for four years and doesn't want to give it up. Doesn't want to smoke cigarettes. And he never smoked cigarettes. Correct. This guy's in his 30s. And I'm like, that's fucking mind-blowing. I'd never heard anything like that. And then the other gentleman that I recently met, he told me his entire family smokes. Said he's had several people in his family that have died from smoking-related illnesses, and he's been going through a really rough patch in his life, and he felt the urge to pick up smoking, and he's like, I'm not going to do it. And so he started using an e-cigarette, and he's been using an e-cigarette. So this is somebody that would that would have just smoked, smoked. instead. Yep, and he said, you know, I was an adult. I never wanted to smoke. And I just, you know, everybody around me is doing it. I need to do something. So I was yeah. <laughs> and picked well. up an e-cigarette and now he has no intention of ever smoking. And so like, that's one of the big anti-vaping crusades is, Oh, well you're going to pick up a vape. That means you're going to smoke cigarettes. Well, there really hasn't been evidence that backs that up. And, and, and I get, and people, but people are so, they can be closed minded. Like, okay, you shouldn't be doing anything. You shouldn't be smoking. You shouldn't be vaping. You should just quit everything. Well, yeah, and that that sounds great in mm-hmm. theory, but mm-hmm. we, uh, I think, history has has showed us that that people aren't just quitting smoking. 
well, that's the same thing as telling a drug addict to stop using drugs or telling a sex addict to stop having sex. Are they going to do it's it? It's bigger than, hey, just say no, Nancy yeah. Reagan. Well, we've already <laughs> seen how uh, preaching abstinence to kids has worked. And again, I'm going to keep repeating myself because history keeps repeating itself. We need to just learn the lessons and move on. You know, We can't keep banging our head and expecting different things to happen when they're not. That's actually the, the definition of insanity. I know. As according to Mr. Al- Mr. Albert Einstein, I was going to quote it. I'm happy you did. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to enough rehabs to know that one. Well, there's another quote by Albert Einstein that I, I like a lot as well. And it's, if you teach a fish that, or if you teach a fish, I'm trying to think of how the quote exactly goes. Or if you, you can paraphrase. Let me think. If you uh, measure a fish on its ability to climb a tree, of course you'll think it's stupid. So basically what that is going, what that is trying to say is that people are a certain way. You take a certain type of person. So you take me, I'm a business owner, right? And then you put me in a rock show and you see how I perform as a rock show and you're going to say, you're a terrible fucking musician. Well, I know. I'm not a musician. Why would you gauge my ability to be a musician? I never claimed to be a musician. I'm a business owner. If you go let me talk to business owners, they'll be like, oh, this dude's a business owner. So I don't even know where I was going with that story. You just got me with the Einstein thing. <laughs> but I, like, when you, you shouldn't it, be judged as, you know, everybody is, has their, like, like a fish. He, uh, yeah, you got me on it too. <laughs> like a fish, bro. Like, you know, like, do you listen to fish? <laughs> I've been to a fish show one time. You know what's crazy? Uh, two guys like us, and that was like the first burnout moment in so much other intelligent conversation. So I think we're, we're doing pretty good. You know, like, I think most people and myself would expect much more of that. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed. How was your childhood? How was my childhood? What kind of stuff did you do as a kid? Oh, I'm noticing as, you know, I never, I guess I never understood nostalgia. Yeah. And then lately I start really, you know, people that grew up in the 90s, there's a lot to be nostalgic about. There is, I mean, the 90s were 20 years ago now. Yeah. And it's, um, it's crazy to think about. It's, I'm starting to understand that, you know, yeah. now in my old years. I mean, I, I actually have found myself saying this a lot lately, but. The cumul the cumul the cumulative experience cumulative yeah cumulative experience of perception of aging is just fucking weird man like just getting old and understanding so many situations that have happened to you and like me personally I don't know if other people do this or if I'm just exceptionally weird I categorize probably both I categorize <laughs> people in my mind so. The people that I know well, I understand their personality archetypes. So then when I meet somebody that I don't know so well, or I don't know at all, they signal to me what personality archetype they are based on how they act, what they say, their body position, micro expressions. And like, then it gives me like an indexed way of putting people into specific categories, not to necessarily judge them, 
But say, for example, I'll have experiences in my life that tell me that this is a red flag. So then when I'm I sure get, it breaks down to like animalistic survival. Right. So then when you get into a situation where somebody you don't know, you automatically have those signals going off in your brain. Like this is reminding me of a situation that wasn't good. Maybe I should leave. Or when I meet somebody for a first time or like when we're hanging out and I'm like, oh whether God. they end up to be true or not later, right. they happen. Right. And then when we're hanging out, I'm like, oh my God, like you remind me of my best friend. And like, this is, I feel so comfortable. And then it's just like, there is actually, I think everything in ha that happens in life, not to cut you off, but is just, uh, some sort of comparison to a memory. Yeah. That's a very interesting point. It is. So I was actually going to say like, there's actually, uh, a specific term for all of the assumptions that you make about somebody when you first meet them. First impression. Yeah. Well, deeper than that. Uh, it's called pie slicing. So there's an author, his name's Malcolm Gladwell, and he's written several good books, but one of them is called Blink. And it's all about the assumptions that you make about somebody in the very first second that you meet them. Hmm. All of the things that you know about them. And so one of the things that he discusses, or one of the topics in his book is, there's a marriage counselor in California. He has like a 70% success rate identifying relationships that are going to fail within the first 60 seconds of watching a recorded clip of any couple interacting. And he'll tell you whether he thinks the relationship's going to fail With or not. 70% accuracy, which is like crazy good accuracy because most of the time people are like less than 50% accurate at this kind of stuff. Um, and literally, all he looks for is resentment. Resentment. Super simple. He, yeah. just, he sees that one... That one thing, and he's trained his brain so well to see that, and he just sees that one little flash of resentment in their conversation, and he can see if they're going to break up or not. But like, So the point that I was trying to get to with this is when you meet someone, you make all these assumptions about them just in the blink of an eye, and it's basically our brain just filling in the gaps in the information that we have, which is literally the best thing our brain is, is at doing. It fills in gaps in information all the time. And so... It's really hard to come to overcome those preconceived notions sometimes. Would you say when you meet somebody, um, a lot of assumptions you make about that person initially um, are true or wrong? Yeah, are true or false? Is that chair killing you? This chair. This chair. Yeah. No, I love it. Okay. It's perfect. I got. I'm just thinking. I got to get some more comfortable chairs. No. We're both getting squirmy. But anyway, back I, to... It's because I have ADHD, dude. Um, <laughs> it has nothing to do with this. I'm Isn't like, it I, crazy sitting down and having a conversation like this? Oh, I love it. It doesn't happen all the time, right? No, it's awesome. And one of the things that like Joe Rogan... And not Rogan, to get too sidetracked, but... No, Joe Rogan, I was listening to one of his podcasts, and he was talking about like the advent of long-form conversations. And there really being a Dwindling. desire for that. Yeah, and like, there's a couple things that I wanted to touch on that we haven't got to, and it doesn't matter, but... Like one of them is like human nature, man. Like I, you think oh, people nowadays, right? Like all of us have shut such short attention spans. Has it never occurred to anybody that, you know, maybe plopping down a kid in front of a TV is bad for their mental health and their development? Like maybe all of us getting trained to like watch 30 second commercials our whole life has like, you know, maybe shortened our attention spans. Well, and now everybody is projecting the image they want you to see into the world and you're constantly looking at this artificial image, yes. therefore comparing it to your realist, realistic image and it could never, in reality and on paper, 
you know, live up to that. So I think there's a, you know, and I think a lot of people realize that, okay, this is just, you know, the best so, version of the best, so much. the best version of this person. Right. And but so, like you said, with, with misinformation, it's so deeply embedded in our psyche that even you were questioning, right. Oh my God, am I going to die from vaping? Right. Yeah. You know, when you know the truth, but you're told so much and it's just of the anti-truth yeah. that now you can't tell what's real and what's not anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so like this also, in my opinion, is a microcosm or I don't know if I'd say it's causation or correlation, right? So you have the news, right? And would you, in your opinion, say any situation in life is nuanced? Any situation in life. It's not black and white. There's a thousand shades of gray to anything. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think a picture, any picture has a thousand words. Exactly. Words. So then when you are on the news and they're doing news segments, there's always time constraints. And I'm not saying that this is intentional because I've met ladies that work for the news and like... They're just doing what they can with what they got. They're doing the best that they can. But at the end of the day, when the news is consistently, and I mean every day, reporting nuanced situations and they're cutting it down to the just very very black and white of exactly what they want to show exactly that really in my opinion leads people to stop seeing life as nuanced and as complicated as it really is and it leads to all of us having this false narrative that everything is simple and we can just fix it and we just slap a band-aid on it and it's going to be okay and there's like it's a premeditated delivery. Yeah, there's like a thousand things that I could use as an example for this, but the one that I'm going to use right now, and this is going to be pretty controversial, is school shootings. Okay, so we as a people, we see a school shooting, and our visceral reaction to that is we should not have guns, kids should not have guns, no person should be able to own guns like this. Well, the reality of this situation is kids already can't own guns. Guns like that, for the most part, are, are already banned. And what... So we're just looking at black and white. This happened. These are the reactions. This is what we're going to do. Nobody actually sits and thinks. No normal child wants to kill themselves, let alone try and kill multiple other people. There's so many layers to that. Why are we looking at trying to take away a gun when the true problem here is that child's mental state? Like... I don't think any single fucking person would argue that that's normal or that's right. So then if we're trying to fix the symptoms of the problem and not the actual problem itself, the question I ask myself is why? And when I bring this up to people, they literally say I'm fucking crazy. Like, I'm crazy for wanting young people to be happy and not want to kill each other? Do you hear yourself? I mean, does that make sense? It doesn't. So why does this mentality get created or how does this get created? And I mean, is it the us versus them mentality? Like, oh, you have a different political view from me. You're wrong. Or is it that we have been trained to not understand the nuance in situations and just think, well, well, those kids are sad. We can't make those kids sad. Well, I would venture to say that, no, those kids are probably sad for a very good reason and you're probably ignoring it. And maybe if we address that fucking reason, then kids wouldn't want to kill each other. You know, there's gotta be 
some things happening in society that are making these things more of and more and more of a popular occurrence. Are you happy with the way society is? Me? Yeah, personally. Ultimately, you know, no. I, I saw I saw a video, and this is kind of off topic, but on the same note, I see where you're getting at. I saw a video this morning, and somebody said, um, somebody on my news feed said, uh, and you think that abortions should be illegal uh, so parents like this can keep on having children. And it was this, uh, some other country, and this lady was beating the fuck out of this malnourished baby for, you know, basically nothing. Yeah. And it made me fucking physically ill, mm-hmm. you know? And and then I and I even got annoyed with the person that, that posted, like, you know, I'm going to post this brutal thing to, like, fit my, this agenda that I think mm-hmm. should fit in my head. Um, and I just like, and, and then I'm like, why would you share that? And then I'm thinking like, maybe it needs to be shared. Uh, like how I, no, I don't, I don't know how somebody could hit a child like that. Um, and part of me like wants to not think about it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think yeah. a lot of people don't want to think about that. They just don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're somebody talking about it or sh- or sharing about it or something, you're you're a problem. And you sh- you know, please help me ignore this. Mm-hmm. So I don't. There's a lot of shit that's going on that like I I get really annoyed when other people are ignoring shit that's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, like half this town's on meth and and, and opiates, and I get so annoyed. But at the same time, yeah. like nobody wants to look that in the face and say that our society created these people. Right. Well, the reason why I ask that is because I feel the same way. I'm not happy with society. Oh, I, I and I, not to go on a tangent there, but like it, that, that when you said that, it just made me think of this video this morning that physically mm-hmm. made me ill, um, that this was just a video on the internet and it was real. It wasn't, it wasn't some little gift or, or gif or whatever they're called, gif or mm-hmm. wasn't some it was fuck not a movie and it was i did not like that this person was of the same species as i mm-hmm. i know man and so like that begs the question for me because i i ask this to people a lot like are you happy with the way our society is and i would say more so than i hear yes i hear no and so when i ask people this Typically, the follow-up question I'll come with is, how would you change it? And so, like... Ignore it. Well, that's why... (laughs) Sorry. That's why I do the things that I do. I mean, I believe that my purpose here in the world is to leave the world a better place than when I came. And um, I realize that, unfortunately, the world that we live in is run by money. And so I've made this analogy to people. If you, as an individual, you work super hard, feed your family. All you can do is afford the shirt that's on your back. And this week you got a little extra money, right? You're going down the street to work. You see a guy sitting on the side of the street. He doesn't have a shirt. Give him the shirt off your back. It's like the most selfless thing you can do as an individual, right? I think I so. suppose. You think the world would be better if we had like a million people like that? Do I think it would? Yeah. Who would act selflessly like that to help another person? Yeah. So 
And please don't think I'm going to try and take away from that because I do believe that is like the most genuine and selfless thing that you can do to try and help another person. But at the end of the day, when you're running that rat race and that's all you're able to do, that's all you can do to help someone. But regardless of what you think, of you have guy, limitations of what you can actually do. Yeah. Even though no matter what your intention those intentions is. are legit, but mm-hmm. you can only do so much with because what you you're can in a rat race. Yeah. But then no matter what you think of Bill Gates, doesn't matter if you like the guy or you hate the guy, dude gives like a billion dollars a year to charity, right? Mm-hmm. So how many shirts does that buy? A couple. I mean, in my opinion, that would do a lot more good. So just the hard facts here are it doesn't matter how good your intentions are, your ability to help is strictly tied to your ability to take care of yourself. And so it's a very dangerous statement because just because you're successful doesn't mean you have to help anyone else. But for me, having a business is a platform. I want the world to be a better place. So I know the only thing that I can do is be better. I have to be better. And you believe, and you believe that uh, your product is helping people so live healthier lives, right? It's an end to a mean. I mean, I didn't want to have an e-cigarette store. I wanted to have a head shop. I wanted to sell pipes. Hemi was the one who convinced me to sell e-cigarettes. He took me over to meet Scotty from Hippie and the Hound. So it started with kind of a hippie dream. Oh, yeah. And by the way, Scotty, we fucking love you. Um, Scotty Freeman, right? Yep. Scotty, he's awesome. Running, he's trying to get right in for uh, city council. Yeah. Uh, if any of you guys live in the city of Erie, you should write in Scotty Freeman for Erie City Council. He you owns know. Hippie and the Hound and Fat Lenny's. Fat Lenny's, yep. And they're opening one up in Wesleyville, too, which I'm super excited about. He's another guy I wanted to get on here. You should, man. Scotty would be a great person to have on here. Um, get some very good conversations out of Scotty, for sure. Um, but when, before we opened our business, you know, Hemi took me over to Hippie and the Hound and had me talk to Scotty and Scotty's like, Oh, you know, I don't know if I should help you kids. I helped a lot of people and you know, they kind of burned me and we kept talking to Scotty and he's a good dude. And I think, uh, I think he realized that we certainly didn't have the intention of doing that to him. And, uh, Scotty's a very good friend of mine, and I certainly am never going to do that to him now. I don't want to. He's uh, the reason why we have the business that we have. And So what changed? Actually, you wanted to start a head shop. What well, changed? <clears throat> Talking to him? Perspectives changed. So, I mean, I'm, part, I'm sure a part of it no, Hemi had, was, had to do with, like— He was right. I mean, he was just right. You saw a, a, dying, or a need in the market. Not necessarily. I mean— so when we were trying to open the store in Westyville, you know, I lived there. I thought, yeah, there's enough people that smoke pot here. They'll buy pipes or whatever. And Hemi's like, look, dude, no. Like, people do hard drugs here. People don't smoke pot. Nobody's buying a fucking expensive pipe out of our store. They're going to go to the gas station and get a cheap one. And, like, he told me that, and I didn't want to believe him because I'm stubborn. and I don't listen. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when we went and saw Scotty, Obviously, as a pot smoker and not being as intelligent as I am now, uh, I used to smoke a lot of weed in my car, which I would not advocate doing because you don't want to get pulled over. Don't go to jail. Just do it in your house. And uh, Don't necessarily want to be baked behind the wheel. Yeah, it's not good. Just stay away from your car while you're smoking. And uh, so Hemi came to my car. First time he ever showed me an e-cigarette. He's like, bro, check this fucking shit out. And... At the time, this was when they had mech mods, and these were much less safe than the e-cigarettes now because they had no way to control it. 
Like literally, if you built it wrong, it could potentially explode. So thankfully, we've come a long way with e-cigarettes. They are not like that anymore. And uh, he pressed the button, and he just blew a massive cloud of vapor into my truck, and it smelled like king strawberries. And I'm like, what the hell? You've never that? seen anything like that. No, and I'm like, that's that's awesome. And he's like, yeah, do you want to try it? And I hit it, and of course I coughed because I didn't know what the guy was doing. And I was just like, dude, this is crazy. And he's like, yeah. He's like, imagine if your hot box in your car, we get pulled over, then the cops aren't going to be able to smell it. And I'm just like, all right, I need to go get one of those right now. So then that was the first time I ever met Scotty. We went to his store. I got myself one and we talked to Scotty a couple other times. And at, it was at that point that I saw you had a need for a, a very simple, you know, you had, I saw the potential <laughs> for it as a smoking cessation device. Cause I saw people coming into his store I saw people that were telling me that they had smoked. And as a former smoker, I started smoking when I was 11. I smoked two packs a day by the, when I was 16. I got my first job. That's where my money went, buying cigarettes. So I was definitely affected by smoking in my own life. Now, I quit smoking cold turkey when I was 18. My 18th birthday, I decided I was going to quit. It took two years. But... By my 20th birthday, I didn't smoke cigarettes anymore. And so after that happened, that always had been a passion of mine was helping my friends then quit smoking. Did you quit using a vape? No. Well, that was before e-cigarettes were really a thing. That was in like 2009. Um, Now, e-cigarettes were on the market there, but they weren't common. There were no e-cigarette stores. You could only really buy them online. And um, they're no, like I, the blue devices or whatever, stuff like that. No, man, way different. I mean, it, it's not anything like modern day e-cigarettes. But um, I quit smoking, like I said, cold turkey. And it took me two years. And what I did was every week I smoked one cigarette less. So I started off smoking like, um, I smoked a little over two packs a day when I started to quit at 18. Um, not every week. I smoked one less cigarette. There was quite a few weeks I smoked more. Are you telling me you smoked cigarettes before the age of 18 and vapes didn't lead you to do so? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Mind-blowing, right? Um, No, I don't believe it. Yeah, well, and I mean, when I was 11, I used to pick up cigarette butts off the side of the road and smoke them. Wow. Because I didn't know anybody that would buy them for me. And then, like, I just thought it was cool. You know, I wanted to do it. And then I progressed... I remember the first time I picked up a cigarette butt out of an ashtray in front of Giant Eagle. I felt so smart because, like, on the side of the road, you only get a hit or two. But I found, like, almost three quarters of a cigarette in the ashtray. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel like an adult smoking a whole cigarette. Yeah. But it's just, you know, (laughs) it's terrible. I remember that feeling as a kid with shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. And, like, so me, I personally started smoking in the fall time, which is where we are right now. And I used to go pick up cigarette butts off the side of the road, go back in the woods behind my parents' house, and there used to be, a, well, there still is a grape, a grape vineyard back there. And since the taste of the cigarettes were so bad, I'd smoke the cigarettes, and then I'd chew on some Concord grapes to get rid of the taste. And um, now every time in the fall, that's always a trigger for me to want to smoke. I'll see the leaves change or the temple start getting a little colder, especially I smell the smell of grapes. It's just a trigger for me to want to smoke. Dude. Uh, th- th- that made me think of, uh, you know, you went into the woods and I had a guest on this week, Justin Moyer, uh-huh. event planner and stuff. And we were talking about being kids and I was saying, you know, there was always that kid that had the porn stashed in a fort <laughs> in the woods, right? 
pre-Pornhub. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And remember remember as kids when we'd go out into we'd go out into the woods and you'd always find like all sorts of kids back there like doing different shady shit from yeah. all over the neighborhood? Like, oh, I wonder yeah. now if you went to the woods there'd just be like 12, 13-year-old kids hanging out in the woods. Well, I mean, we can, we can do an experiment and figure it out, but I would doubt it. I would wager probably not. You know, I, uh, I remember playing like N, or N64 and Sega as a kid, uh-huh. but only so much. Yeah. And uh, we watched a lot of movies in the evening, me and my little brother, mm-hmm. but we fucking loved being in the woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, a lot of shady shit over the years happened in the woods. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me and my friends would go smoke pot like two miles into the forest and be looking over our shoulders mm-hmm. left and right. You know? Well, I remember like uh, Rolling Ridge Elementary School because I grew up in Harbor Creek. Uh, man, we used to have so many fucking stick wars back there in the woods. Like there'd be like 20 kids back there, 10 on 10. We'd just picking up sticks and whipping them at each other. Uh, we'd do so much degenerate stuff back there. We, that's another thing me and, me and uh, Justin were talking about earlier this week was um, everybody – you know, I'm sure for the last hundred years, hundred years, you'll hear older people like, you know, kids today, kids today. <laughs> yeah. But dude, we really are on some sort of uh, a different level because we, when we were kids, uh, it was like the beginning of the internet, and like nobody really had it, and it was dial up, and it was a whole other thing. So we lived in this unique time. Well, how old were some, you when you got a cell phone or a computer? I was 18 when I had a cell phone. Me too. So like, but I'm saying we were that unique generation right at the very the end cusp. before yeah. this new crazy brand new age industrial revolution. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. We live in when the generation before us never knew the world without Facebook. Yeah. Or the generation after us never knew the world without Facebook. Yeah. So we can compare, I think we're in a unique position to, we can compare life now to then mm-hmm. and now Somebody like my son, who's going to be five years old this November, he's never seen a world without a smartphone. Which is crazy to think. Yeah. So he has nothing to compare it except for when he's older. You know, I remember a time when we didn't even have Internet. And if you wanted to use the internet, you had to wait till mom got off the phone. You know, like- well, it's, it's just like that meme, like when we're in our 70s. Oh, I remember a time when the internet used to come through the wall and it used to make terrible noises. Yeah. Ah! And they'll be like, shut up, grandpa, take your pills. You know, but it did, though. That was dial up. Like you couldn't talk on the phone while we were using it's the like, computer. You can you talk know? to people in China eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I remember when I was a kid, I used to be on uh, AOL Instant Messenger and chat rooms. Remember ICQ? Oh my God, dude. Throwback. Oh my God. I remember being in chat rooms and going age, sex, location, you know, as a 15, 16 year old. And it's just like how things have changed, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. But yeah, and like I definitely, I remember being in high school and like being the unpopular kid because I didn't have a Moto Razor. I didn't have a flip phone, you know? Yeah. And you were a couple years after me. Yeah, I would. I should have graduated in 2008. I remember the first badass phone that I had was a chocolate. Oh, yeah, the LG chocolate. I had the red and the white one. Yeah, that had the music player in it. And yeah. then everybody had the Blackberries. Uh-huh. I never had a Blackberry. Dude, I love my Blackberry. Those things are awesome. Dude, I that actually thing looks wish- like a fucking... That thing looks ancient. And I think sometimes like I watch a lot of American Pickers and stuff. Nice. And imagine in like 100 years... 
Oh yeah, when, they're gonna be picking when, blackberries. When computers, when computers are in our fucking heads. Oh a long, God. long time ago, and there's like a couple left, and and, yeah. the, and they're like, you know, maybe people got them in glass cases, or they're in the Smithsonian. Yeah, that would be fucking awesome. The beginning. Well, I mean, dude, it's we don't think of it now, but like, I'm sure at some point there will, you know, there will probably be some museums dedicated to technology, and they'll have museum. a BlackBerry in a fucking case. A museum to e-cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah. Well, with all of with all of the stuff that's been going on in relation to e-cigarettes and with the federal government, the threat of them getting taken away, I do know quite a few people who have actually been collecting a bunch of different like generations of e-cigarette stuff to literally preserve it so that in the future we can say like, hey, you know, this was one of the very first e-cigarettes and then this is when stuff started getting really cool, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's fascinating to think about, man. It really is. And like I... I personally would liken the time that we're in now to the Industrial Revolution. It's different. It's a lot different. But in terms of the most similar, I would put it to there, like the late 1800s. Yeah. When people literally, well, it's a brand new monster now. Yeah. When people literally went from the 30-year period when people went from you know riding on a horse and buggy to driving cars. And before that, it was just basically the same for hundreds of years. Yep. And then that was the and turning boom. point. Yeah. And so we're, I, in my opinion, that's where we are now with Ele- the advent of technology, you know? Ooh. Like, uh, man. What? So speaking of, I don't know what else you wanted to get into today, but um, I don't care. A lot of things we were talking about. What do you think about Andrew Yang? About Yang? I don't really know too much about and, him. And not to, I don't want to really dive into politics on this, on any podcast because yeah. I, I'm not are, an expert. Are you talking about the concept of UBI? UBI. Income, yeah. So I personally am against it just for the basis of I don't personally believe that by giving a handout, you're incentivizing anybody to work harder. I don't. I just don't. I see Um, where he's coming from, but I could totally see where he is super optimistic in, well, in this thought, if I'm not mistaken, his premise is basically saying that automation is coming and we need to tax these companies for automation and give people the money because they're not going to have jobs. Is that correct? Basic. Well, I mean, yeah, which I agree with automation is coming way bigger scale than anybody realizes. So, you know, timeline is a whole nother thing. Dude, I'm compl- no expert. I completely agree. I mean, if we just look at. Again, history as a frame of reference what happened in the industrial revolution the advent of assembly lines and what did this what what came up because of this <laughs> we were afraid that people were going to lose jobs lose jobs and then it actually gave more people jobs now i'm not necessarily saying that that's going to happen now but as individuals as human beings there always have been since like instances that have come up in human history that we had no frame of reference. We had no idea how it was, how we we're going to handle it and things ended up working out. All right. There's a lot of jobs that yes, are going to be subject to automation, but conversely, if the products that we're buying are getting made 30% cheaper because they're being automated, then either these companies are going to be making a massive amount of money or one would assume the products would get cheaper. And so 
unfortunately, this is a symptom of what we were discussing before. People seeing all problems or seeing a lot of problems in a more simpler condensed version of the nuanced and true version of the issue at hand. And so like with automation, yeah, I do think a lot of jobs are going to get taken away. But I do think this could also potentially lead to people in general actually being happier because they're taking away a lot of fucking autonomous jobs. Or, uh, Making us a little more um, conscious it, on like what we could do. Right. And, and, and dude, would, I'll tell you right now, I've worked in plastic shops. It sucks. So I don't want to do that. No. If a and I don't think anybody do, wants to do if that. If a machine's going to do that, in my opinion, it would make it better. But I've got it. I think we're going to have to introduce a, a whole new lineup of careers and jobs, though, that like are out of the box that we don't even know will exist. So you have an excellent point. I think the biggest problem people have with this is it's uncomforting. I don't need a skill to do these jobs. These robots are going to do the anxiety you're behind me, not you're knowing. telling me I need to get a skill to be a member of, of society now. And like this actually the uncomfortability thing is actually one of my own little personal theories about eerie. So like how long have you lived here? 2012. Oh, so you've lived here for seven years. Mm -hmm. um, where did you live before? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, I lived, I've, I was, I grew, I was born in Texas. Uh, I was raised between Ohio near Columbus and I lived in Punxsutawney for a while went to college in Pittsburgh for six years lived in Oil City for a little bit and then ended up here in Erie so in your experiences in life do you find that people in any of those areas tend to complain about where they live as much as people in Erie you know what just, I'm just in my curious. home in my hometown yes in Columbus uh, well I, I'm from a farm town uh, southeast of Columbus but uh, there for sure small town dying for sure Pittsburgh, uh, I found that people loved living in Pittsburgh. And, I mean, I and, love Pittsburgh, And embraced nice. the fact that they lived there and they were proud of the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, well, in my opinion, Pittsburgh's a great place to live. That's my adopted home city, so I'd be proud of it too. But in my opinion, and this is just one of my little personal conspiracy theories, I think, uh, I think people complain about living here because just like we were talking about uncomfortability being a signal for growth. I think people complain about living here and complain about the weather, particularly because Mother Nature is reminding them four times a year that they had not been able to grow or change. When you're in an environment that's constantly changing, it's constantly signaling you. Life's telling you. Nature's telling you. We change. You should be changing. And when you're not, it's just a constant reminder of you I think being... it's a reflection yep. to, to the inside. So like... If I was an ugly person, I'd want to live someplace that's beautiful all the time. You know, if I didn't have the ability or the self, the self understanding, the, the self awareness to understand that I need to grow. Yeah. I'd want to live. Someplace How do you feel nice about Erie? But I love it. I think Erie is a beautiful place and I've been to Hawaii. I've been to the Virgin Islands and I mean, I've seen some extremely beautiful things in my life and I think we're very, very blessed to live here. I think just living in this country, living on this planet is a blessing. How much untapped potential do you think is in this city? Oh my God. That's why I live here. <laughs> you, you're obviously uh, tapping some of that potential yeah, and, and seeing I'm, that uh, taking a little risk can be beneficial. Yeah. Well, I'm invested in Erie and like I, I was born and raised here. I grew up in Harbor Creek. 
I love it here. I'm one of the oddballs. I love snow, but like I love all seasons. I literally love everything about it. I love, I love all seasons too. Yep. I love springtime and it's the coming out. How, cal- how calming is that first white blanket? Oh my God, dude. I love it so much. I, I like putting just, snow boots on and going oh, to dust the car it, off. I, so it gets a I. little old and it's freezing sometimes, mm-hmm. but I fucking, that first unplowed blanket mm-hmm. of white. Everything. Go so out on the peaceful. porch and with the hat on and, mm-hmm. a, and a jacket and just boots and just dude. look out into the world. So actually. It I reminds mean, me I'm living. Can we, can, is this an idea you should do? Or rooftop session snowfall with music yeah have you seen the rooftop session yeah that's what i'm saying do a rooftop session the first snowfall of the year the only problem with that is having the guitar in the snow so how about you do one of those pop-ups like a like one of those like six foot pop-ups canopies and then you just frame it so that the snow is falling all around you but it's not falling directly on top of you i would do it i need to do more videos in general i'm getting there the reason why i think it would be so awesome is because the property that snow has when it's falling that makes it quiet i wonder if that would actually like acoustically change the sound oh i'm sure yeah, I'm I think sure it would that, be sweet. I'm sure that a, a six, seven, eight inches a foot of snow will change the dynamic. Well, I'm just saying about the snow actively falling around you because I'm you sure know it snow change, falling. It changes the air. Yeah, and uh, you know, audio waves change in different air consistency. Or, I'm sorry, I just got that idea and yeah. I really wanted to see it, so I had to pitch it to you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. So like winter time, the snow falling is great. Fall time, the leaves changing is great. Every there's parts of every season that I love and that I enjoy. Yeah. So for me, I don't know if I could I take it. But, you know, I like summer, mm-hmm. but I not all the time. I am more miserable. I think in ninety degree weather. Me too. Like I work. I've worked at a couple of places. I've worked at Chicolets in the Bay, and I've worked uh, at Rum Runners in hot kitchens in the summer. And I might be jaded to, uh, you know, standing over uh, a grill. And 90 degree weather and you look at the little kitchen thermometer and it says like 120 <laughs> um, and then I look outside to see people eating deep fried food Oof. on a deck in the middle of the baking sun I'm from you know my heritage is Swedish mm-hmm. and I fucking I me and my my son when it's real hot he's like oh I don't like this mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable it's not natural mm-hmm. I can't sit out in the baking sun on a deck and eat hot food mm-hmm. um I feel more comfortable in the fall. Right. I feel more comfortable in the spring. Mm-hmm. Now that it's getting cooler, I like it. I like yeah. I can throw a hoodie on. Exactly. You know, I think the snow can be a little bit of a pain in the ass when it's relentless for months on end. Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't have a snow vehicle, like a specific snow yeah. vehicle. <laughs> it's a little bit of a pain, and yeah. it can fuck up plans and travel mm-hmm. and shows and stuff like that. But for the most part, that first snow, mm-hmm. I like it more than you know, the hottest day of the summer. Right. Well, and then also like looking at the grand scheme of things, where we live, the scheme. we the don't scheme. have, we don't have hurricanes. Really. We don't really have tornadoes. We don't have forest fires. We don't have earthquakes. earthquakes. Yeah. So like in the tornadoes, grand, they happen once in a while, but it's not like living in Oklahoma. Exactly. And that's kind of my point. Like we have a little bit of threat. And so like, what's the biggest like environmental threat we have blizzards, Bad attitudes. Yeah, bad attitudes. I mean, but like, so I guess what I'm trying to get to is I like living here because one, there's a lot of opportunity here. There is unfortunately not too many motivated people here. 
So unlike, you know, starting a business in Houston, you start, you know, a business, I would almost wager to guarantee if it's successful, there's going to be four other businesses copying it within six months. I think it'd be real easy here to be, and I've done it with music, becoming, uh, becoming a bigger fish exactly. in a smaller pond. Exactly. And uh, I, to a degree, you know, I, it, agree. It, I get a much better feeling not to say in an ego way, but I, I just, I think it's easier to make an impact mm-hmm. um, and affect people around you than if you yeah. went to like Austin, Texas yeah. to try to record a record. I a hundred percent agree. And so you're just like, it's and, a stepping stone and not, and those places are so awesome um, because they're, they're meccas for, for mm-hmm. industry and music. Um, but it's easy to wash out the little guy. And, and it's hard sometimes because you, like you said, Erie, there's a lot of people complaining all the time and it's easy to get stuck in this negative mindset Mm -hmm. so you got to surround yourself with with positive motivated um driven people that are Mm like-minded and anything's possible yes sir but you can't you can't drown in a in a a sea of sorrow and like what have you and all that bullshit no and misery loves company too so (laughs) (laughs) does that laugh (laughs) so like you know, it's hard. It very it is very hard when you're around people who are negative. And that's why, you know, that's why I want my business here. That's why I love being here. I want to be a positive person. I want to see I want to have other people see what I do, what I like how I live my life, what I've done, the choices that I've made, and realize that I'm a degenerate. Hmm. I've been a piece of shit in my life. It doesn't mean that I don't have the ability to choose to be something else. Yeah. And, and nowadays, I um, and I think that's obvious in hearing you talk and speak and what you do in life. Um, but that's why nowadays I, I surround myself with almost 90% people in recovery. I live in a recovery house. Um, I, I wanted to do this podcast to talk to people mm-hmm. on a daily basis or as much as possible mm-hmm. that are this stuff is fucking awesome for mm-hmm. me and my spirit. Yeah. And people listening, I think, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's take, you know, and you think about, do I like Yuri? Okay. Here's the thing. This is my sixth episode of this podcast. I have a list a mile long of people. I, I find interesting enough and not that I have some, mm-hmm. you know, I'm some judgmental person that has a scale, but I'm just saying like, I have endless people I could talk to mm-hmm. that, that I would enjoy talking to. And, you know, in some shitty ass small town on, mm-hmm. on, on the side of a lake, you know, they, like <laughs> I don't think on the lake. Yeah. Like, uh, if it was really as doom and gloom and a piece of shit as most people think, um, I don't think that I would have nearly that amount of people. And I, ha- I have so many people that I w- that are doing amazing things. And I think, uh, other people from this region hearing that mm-hmm. and putting it kind of on high is, is going to spread is going to spread good shit. Maybe you're just a little too optimistic. Really? <laughs> I don't think so. No, but I agree, man. There's uh there's a lot I've been known of to here. uh I've been known to, you know, buy into my own bullshit and <laughs> and let reality become something that is not. I'm known for that. So That's yeah, okay. We but but here's the thing, if 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 it's my life and my perspective and I'm living it and I and I think that, you know, isn't it real to me? Well, only if you're making actionable choices towards making yeah. it real. But anyway, what I was saying about hanging out with people in recovery, uh, just complete that thought, is just 
people that have seen the dark shit of life that I can relate to mm-hmm. and I can make that dark humor because we both know mm-hmm. what it's like basically living out of a dumpster. Um, and then to be around people that are constantly every day working be a better. specific set of spiritual principles to become something better and hopefully it trickles into a lot in their hearts into the lives of people that surround them. Mm-hmm. That is something that's, uh, that's infectious. It's powerful. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And I love my musician buddies out there. Um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of these bar scene guys are just bitter. Mm-hmm. You know, why haven't I done more? Why haven't I done bigger and better things? And it's not my fault. It's everybody else's fault. And nobody really sees how amazing I am. Mm-hmm. I, dude, I'll, un- I'll unfriend people on Facebook that have that mentality. Like, fuck all y'all. You just don't get me because you can't see how amazing I am. It's like, well, I don't. You know what I mean? That is a, men- a shitty mentality. Like people Isn't it don't your responsibility. People don't get me because I'm so amazing and they can't relate. Like uh, and and I pro- and I I've, I've fallen victim to thinking shit like that in my past and it's fucking delusional and it's wrong and uh, I I don't like that. I don't like uh, you know nobody's so unique that that they need to put on mental airs for themselves to you know think that there's something they're not. I agree. And I, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but no. Well, what you were talking about, I think, really boils down to when you're saying hanging out with people in recovery. What we were touching on before, connection is the opposite of addiction. So connection is the opposite of disconnect. Yeah, yeah obviously, well, <laughs> it is. But addiction, just like we were talking about, it is a disconnect from society. You do. Yeah. You unplug from all of the other resources that you have and you grow comfortable in your state of disconnection or your state of, uh, disassociation, if you will. And so a common thread in that is I'm so nobody understands what I'm going through. Yep. But the fucking realization is there's 7 billion people on this world and mathematically speaking, somebody has. And there's a lot of them sitting right in town. Yeah. And I mean, this is the other thing. I mean, we have personality tests, right? So mathematically speaking, there's only so many potential combinations of personality traits. With that being said, there's only so many different members of somebody's family that can traumatize them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? There's only so many relationships you can have as an adult or as a child for people to traumatize you. So like... There's obviously nuanced levels of trauma, but if you really want to start breaking it down, somebody probably has been traumatized in a way that's similar to you. And somebody probably does understand. Doesn't make it better. In my opinion, it makes it worse. Nobody should ever be traumatized. Yeah. And like, I don't know, man. Sometimes I wonder. Somebody's running a vacuum. <laughs> right above us. Sometimes We're catching I wonder the end here. If uh, the way society is the way society is constructed, the society that we live in, is it correlation or is it causation? So was society constructed this way? Are we just pawns in a game? I think there's seven, you know, there's so many different avenues. Or has Nobody sitting, I, I mean, I do think there's people like that, pretty, there's a group of people that pretty much run the world and they all make decisions. Um, but I think that human nature, just so many different, avenues of human nature compiled into this organism Mm -hmm. that we're living in now and uh every attribute of the human personality it it shines through Mm -hmm. on and magnifies on some level yeah and that makes up society 
Yeah. Um, and, and I do think there has been things that has happened that have amplified certain negative things in society for other people's uh, benefit. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to trace all that stuff back to why this is happening. When did it start happening? Who's creating it? Who's benefiting from it? And it is, it's a lot to take in and, and it's so easy to get anxious and depressed over all this stuff. And like you were saying earlier, like if you, you know, you can only help and inspire other people so much as long as it fits into your rat race. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And it's hard, man. So like, you know, yeah, I can be empathetic and I can be uh, inspirational and I can do all I can for people, but I can only do it so much before I myself is drowning. Right. And I, I pride myself on trying to be there for other people and on being there for my friends when they need it the most. And like, that's one of the things that's been making me feel depressed recently is <laughs> that vacuum. Sorry. Yeah, no. It's somebody mowing the grass. Oh, is it? Yeah. I thought it was somebody running a vacuum. So <laughs> if you hear him, uh, lawnmowers outside, we cannot control the people around us. So, but continue, uh, Paul. This is a great, we're on a great, some, some great shit right here. I, you, I forgot now. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it in the headphones. Um, I don't know. This might be a good stopping point. It might be. They're getting pretty loud. Yeah. Um, I want to have you back on again. I'm actually, I wanted to say I'm, I'm very, very blessed that you have so many people you want to talk to and you chose me. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you um, so much. We're going to get lovey-dovey. I love you, bud. I love you, man. <laughs> See, you can, you can tell dudes you love them without being shit-faced drunk. Oh, no, I platonically tell my friends I, I love did. them all the time. Remember that time? No, but um, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, a lot of people don't understand maybe what your business does or what it all entails. But outside of what it is, I respect you for being an entrepreneur, somebody who has created something from nothing under the age of 30 and four locations. And that's just one business. That's, ama that's amazing, uh, I, and I have a lot of respect for that. Let um, it be noted that I'm frowning and shaking my head. Yeah. He <laughs> don't want to hear it. But um, thank you so much, and uh, thank everybody for listening. Thank you. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.